You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 461. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 17th of February, 2021. episode, a Delta passenger jet skids off a taxiway in Pittsburgh. The cargo door of a Boeing 757 freighter completely opens up after takeoff in Germany. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, flying the red flag part three. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 461 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City! Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based here in Atlanta, GA. And joining me today from her lakeside studio in South I love that. Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IBA connoisseur, commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstapping jumper dumper and white duck taco consumer, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. They were delicious tacos yesterday. Always are. Again, long time no see. Looking forward to a good show. Glad we're all here. Me too. It's going to be fun. All right. And... That music, I love it. That is Neville yeah, Bounds. The extended version there. And joining us from his mobile studio in California, world traveler, airplane mechanic, Brightling Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. Happy to see everybody here today. We've got a full crew for a change, and it's going to be another great show. That's what we're hoping for. And also joining us from his studio in the pastoral English countryside, he is a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, also a retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virginia, Virgin, Virginia, Virgin Atlantic Airlines. It's Captain Nick. Hi, everybody. Hi, Jeff. Um, is this Washington's birthday or have I got the wrong day? Mm, wrong day. It might be. I think actually the President's Day Monday, Monday is not. Washington's birthday. I think it's based well, on But Washington. it's always on the Monday. Oh. Right? I thought so the, the 17th changes. was actually his ah. birthday, but I might be wrong. It you? used to always be on his birthday, but then they changed ah. it so the holiday was always on the Monday. Yeah, yeah. So I can't remember the actual date of his birthday anymore because... It's the 17th. All right. Today. <laughs> Thank you for well, knowing then, our history. So if you already knew the answer, <laughs> why are you asking us this question? I, I was just... I was just alluding to the fact that you guys didn't know. 
Ah. Oh, I see. You start the show off by embarrassing all of us. Uh, it was the, it's the 22nd it. of February, so you're wrong. Oh. <laughs> oh, really? Well, uh, not, so, not what Wikipedia said. Well, really? Wikipedia can't possibly be wrong. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Oh, we only, really? Well, the U.S. version is different, apparently. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, we give incorrect information to the rest of the world to throw them off. <laughs> like. Oh, I see what I see what it because it's always on a Monday. Then the February the seventeenth uh, last year, correct, uh, would have been Washington's birthday. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, now that we have it all out of our system, now that we've got that straight, <laughs> kind of. I was just wanted to wish him a happy birthday. Okay. Well, you can do it any time, really, during this week. That's fine. <laughs> okay, I'm happy sure he birthday, appreciates it, Mr. Washington, <laughs> but not after the twenty second. Not after the twenty second. Fair enough. Well, you know, I think this is the earliest that the show has completely fallen apart ever. Yeah. <laughs> this is a new record. Mark this. Yes, yeah, a new record. I don't think so. No. But oh, maybe not. No. Okay, well, it's close. I can remember a few other specific instances, but well, I don't want to talk yeah. about it. Let's do the. Have news. I started all of them? No. <laughs> oh, good. No. Let's do the news. There, there was one where we had or, giggling fits before we could even get through the intro. So, or we could do. <laughs> we could do anyway, the news if you want. Okay, let's do the news. Okay. Stand by for news. Happy birthday, George Washington, in just a few days. A Delta plane skids off the taxiway at Pittsburgh International Airport. No injuries reported. This is from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And for all of you out there, yes, I do fly an airplane very similar to this one, um, a Boeing 717 uh, for um, a sister airline. And uh, But there, I got a lot of uh, uh, messages from people, you know, kind of worried that it could have been me inside this jet, but it wasn't. Wrong airline. This is Delta. Um, an airplane carrying nearly 80 passengers and crew slid off the taxiway at Pittsburgh International Airport on Wednesday evening last week. Uh, airport officials said that a Delta Airlines plane of Boeing 717 Flight 2231 was departing for Atlanta with 77 people on board when it, quote, exited a taxiway just prior to takeoff near a runway at about 6.30 p.m. And uh, here's a picture in here of it, kind of the nose wheel hanging over the edge of the taxiway. Um, officials said that no injuries were reported and that buses were dispatched to help passengers exit the plane. The passengers were then shuttled to the airside terminal. Uh, Delta Airlines released the you following statement. Show that picture, Jeff? While you on... show that picture? Oh, I, you want me to show that picture you're saying? Oh, I thought when you alluded to it, you were going to show it, but that's okay. Doesn't no, matter. I don't feel like showing it. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay I'll show you. like that. Uh. Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. Okay, here. Share. Share screen. And here we go. And then boom. Except for I do that. Okay, I'm just going to leave it like that. Can you guys see that? No. no. I have to hit this button right here. Yay. See it there? Yeah, got it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, gone for a wonder. Vest. Yeah, and that, actually that picture um, isn't as bad as some of these others. This one makes it look a little worse. Um, 
and uh, here's the uh, the back end of the uh, jet the tail What's cone. That limp uh, thing hanging out the back. Well, <laughs> I'd rather not say. Seems like a personal question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought yeah. I'd ask a seven one seven pilot. That is tell me. a non-inflated slide that comes out of the tail cone. Oh, now I don't know if it. Uh, you know, this is one of those pictures, aftermath pictures, after the passengers have already left the airplane. Um, I did see some pictures where they had some air stairs kind of butted up to. I uh, get it, butted. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> did that by accident. Um, and uh, up to the back end here. And <laughs> sorry. Um, and passengers were. The, I keep. I'm really not doing that. The rear. Purpose. Yeah. The the rear. The, Aft portion of the aircraft. Aft. Yes, the yeah. anal portion of the uh, jet, and uh, <laughs> they uh, left via the stairs. Now I don't know if they, if the slide was inflated, um, you know, or if it was inflated and they deflated it or what. But um, I've got two things. First one, I wonder. I wonder if the uh, if the uh, the slide, uh, the tail cone slide there, uh, would be effective. Given the the deck angle at the airplane, yeah, uh, that's in, I, that's a good one. question, Rick. Because I don't think it would be. Maybe it would. I'm not sure at yeah. what angle it you know it has to have to be effective. Exactly. I know that, the angle of dangle. The angle of dangle. Yeah, oh, show title. Somebody write that down. About. <laughs> Liz, you got that angle got and then, dangle. Okay. And then the other one is um, I know from from my previous airline and my current airline um, and the. Uh, uh, you you kind of have to be familiar with the with the flight attendant manuals and all that stuff when you when you carry passengers around. Uh, I know that it's in their manual that if um, they well if they find the airplane or in in, in their in their uh, estimation in a um, unusual position in the ground or after a rejected takeoff and they don't hear from the crew in fifteen seconds. Uh, they're supposed to automatically uh, begin an evacuation themselves because the fl- the you know, the cockpit crew, uh, the flight deck crew, might you know be incapacitated and unable to command that evacuation. Yeah. So uh, it's it's you know it's 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 in the, it's in the manuals as well. So uh, maybe, but I mean, again, again, we don't we don't know what happens. And so. and you know, communication is very important. Uh, you oh, know, absolutely. You bring up a great point, and that's why immediately after this happened, and you know, we're we're just going to have to like say we're not sure what happened because there's no official officially released um reason that uh, the jet didn't make that final turn i, mean, I was just on this taxiway a couple of days before this um and uh, on a very uh, similar airplane and it was in similar conditions <laughs> nice. as well and let me tell you what you know when the, when they do all the snow removal and stuff on the runways they usually do a really good job of yeah. uh, of the runway a snow removal and you know making sure the friction's good and that kind of thing but once you get off on the, on the taxiways and the ramps eh, you got to be really yeah. careful because they're usually very very slippery so i mean when i i'm very deliberate i mean now i think we've talked about this before that i tend to like to taxi on the higher end of the speed scale um yes, but you do in these <laughs> liz is saying yeah you do um but in these conditions uh, i'm very very slow and deliberate because oh, yeah. you know i'm just you're not sure what you're going to get and you don't want to end up like i'm not saying this is what happened here but it kind of looks like maybe they were going a little bit too fast for the conditions yeah. and tried to make that left turn and the runway's right there you can see it behind it so it's just like a little bit of a 90 degree turn from the direction this airplane's facing right now and it looks like it just 
you know, it could have been, it could have been a mechanical issue as well. So I don't know, but just, yeah, I, you bring up, you bring up a great point, Jeff. I, 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 even, even last night I got into St. Louis and, um, as you know, runway was fine, taxi off the runway and I just kept it at a five knot crawl. Cause it's, you just don't know. And it's interesting because so we do get up in the flat deck what are called FICONs or field condition reports. And these are these are um um attached to the weather package that you get by ACARS, which aircraft uh, addressing reporting systems, basically a a, a data link between you and dispatch and other other areas. So you'll get you'll get these FICONs and um uh, basically what that tells you is what the condition is. The, the runway condition is that it, it, it has nothing to do with 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 taxiways and basically these FICONs have um uh what are called uh, runway condition codes and the, the the landing surface is divided into third so you'll get a report for the first third second third and the last third of the runway and the reason why that's important is because you want to know what the overall break in action is going to be where you touch down Obviously, the second third is where the majority of your stopping is going to happen. So you want to know what's happening there. And then obviously, the, the, the last third is important as well. Now, anybody that has flown in uh, snowy and, or icy conditions knows to stay away from the far end of the runway. Because on that end of the runway, that's the touchdown point for the, for the opposite runway. So you get a lot of rubber deposits and contamination. Add that to ice. And you find yourself in a very, very... Um, you know, you could find yourself in a precarious situation. So, Slip and slide. You, exactly. So you touch down and you get the airplane stopped as quickly as you can because you want to stay away from the last third of the runway. So you'll get numbers from one to five, one being poor um, break in action and five being uh, good break in action. Now, as part of um, um, operating procedure, many airlines, I think most airlines, are not allowed to land when the FICON uh, says poor break in action, at least we're not. Um, and so that's what you get as far as information on your landing uh, surface. But once you get off the runway, as, as Jeff said, you really have no idea. You know, there's no, I mean, I, I, I have seen uh, ATC put out notums uh, regarding icy taxiways and stuff, but it's it's really nothing that's... Uh, that that you can you know uh, call for or, or or request and get beside you know aside from looking out the window and assessing assessing the situation yourself and then taxing um, accordingly, there's really nothing else you can do. So uh, that's why you know you just bring it down to a crawl. And I you know and it's happened to me where you you slip and slide and you, all you got to do is just kind of straighten the tiller out a little bit, kind of use differential braking and just you know just. Do, do, the, do the best you can as slow as you can to make it as safe as possible. So, yep. And uh, it's very hard to stop several tons of airplanes oh, once it's yeah. uh, started sliding. Uh, usually, the anti skid is no use to you because it's not going to be active at the slow taxi speeds we travel around at. And, uh, you know, once you've got a bit of momentum, even if you're only doing a few knots, uh, it's almost possible, impossible to stop. I watched one of our 340s uh, slide off a taxiway, uh, and it had been wet, uh, the sun set, uh, and they hadn't put any de-icing out, and 
uh, almost, you know, I don't think they were expecting it to get quite that cold. And, uh, you know, the, the chill hit the water on the taxiways. And the next minute I watched one of our boys just gently pirouette off the end of the taxiway, doing about three knots. That's about, about the oh, speed yeah. of it. Yeah, it doesn't have to be fast. <laughs> no, I mean, no, no. If you don't have I mean, any braking action, yeah, you're not going to stop one knot or three knots. It's going to keep moving until it yeah, I think that I think that, that will stop it. That Newton fellow was on was on to something. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. he was lucky. There wasn't a ditch there, so uh, they, you know, they eventually yeah. just dragged it back on. But yeah, it can happen. Yeah, the breaking action reports that um, uh, Rick was talking about. Um, Don is asking, do you get those runway conditions for both departure and arrival airports? And yes, uh, yeah, the do. departure and arrival. Well, some airports have combined um, departure and arrival ATIS information, but the ones that have the uh, different you know the, the separate ones uh, they always include the breaking action uh, for whether you're leaving or arriving um, because you know it's important in both cases um, and then somebody had also asked about the uh, do you know we have to have for us some kind of a tail stand like when they were loading the airplane with bags or whatever and and no the the 717 in fact don't, they don't even have air stairs on the uh, 717 um, and uh, even the the mad dog 88 and 90 um, they, they, which had air stairs, they were not required to be extended for support and to keep it from tipping. In fact, they weren't really even structural at all. They were just a way for people to get on and off the airplane via the back door. Um, but <laughs> I think I've talked about this before on earlier episodes when I used to fly the 727, that air stair assembly on the uh, 727 was a structural thing to keep the airplane from tipping on its tail. And a lot of us who displaced from the 727 onto the uh, mad dog we'd go out to the gate and kind of start like freaking out a little bit because what how come the air stairs aren't down you know and then they'd look at you like i don't know um and then we some somebody would friendly you know give us a friendly reminder that you know it's not required on this airplane you old coot yeah, we had, a, we had a we had tail stand support. That last part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had tail stand support in the seven four. You had to it, it had to be loaded and unloaded in a certain way. So mm -hmm. um, you could either you could either use a, a tail stand or um, uh, they would actually uh, use a, a a nose gear uh, tie down. Basically, mm -hmm. oh, you know, okay, yeah, yeah so that'll that'll tie the nose gear support down the back or hold down the front. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, seven three seven nine hundred had a particularly bad. A habit of uh, tipping on its tail if there wasn't support. I, you're right. They do have tail stands as well. I've, mm -hmm. I've seen those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. you're right. Neil has a comment here for Steph about what that oh. dangling thing is. Neil has. Okay, thank you, Neil. It's a right. medical condition. Somebody, it's a pro, yeah. Hey, somebody uh, has um, privileges, um, moderator privileges. Take care of Neil. All right. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone. He's gone. He's he's history. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Neil. All right. Um, anything else to say? Just, hey, you know, be careful out there. We still have, obviously, here in the U.S., we just had a really major winter storm. So that darn Canadian air seeping down mm -hmm. again. and uh, Not over yet. If you're in my neck no, of the woods, yeah. tomorrow's supposed to be quite icy. Yeah, it's not, oh, not over yeah. yet. Um, be, and, be careful out there, folks. Yeah, so... Be careful out there and just slow it down and uh, it'll be spring soon, right? That's right. What, what are we, the Hill Street Blues now? Yes, <laughs> we are. Okay. I like that show. That was a great show. It was. Okay. You'll Moving be on. careful out there. Be careful out there. All right. Accident 
DHL 752, 757200 at Leipzig, Leipzig on the 13th. Leipzig. Leipzig, dang it. Leipzig. Um, cargo door open in flight. Uh, this is from the uh, Aviation Herald. Um, registration Golf Delta Hotel Kilo Zulu performing freight flight 126 from Leipzig to Frankfurt, Maine, Germany was in the initial climb out of Leipzig's runway 26 left when the crew stopped the climb at about 5,300 feet MSL due to the cargo door opening completely. Several parts separated from the airframe and were distributed over the ground around the, oh boy, Schkopau coal power plant located about 10 nautical miles west of Leipzig airport. The aircraft immediately positioned to return to Leipzig landing in opposite direction to departure. The aircraft touched down on runway 8 right at 547 local time. Uh, about 15 minutes after departure, stopped in the runway about 1,500 meters, 4,900 feet down the runway. The aircraft remained on the runway for about 40 minutes, then was moved to the apron. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. Um, Germany's BFU confirmed a cargo door apparently opened in flight and dispatched investigators on site. The BFU reported nobody was injured, and this is the part that I it's I find hard to believe, really. Uh, no freight was ejected from the aircraft. But I guess if everything's in... Uh, unit, load, uh, unit load devices. So yeah, basically everything everything fits like it. It's particularly when, when you have when you have a full a full load of, uh, of ULDs there. Everything fits snugly and everything. Um, you have these, these tie-down locks that keeps everything um, uh, in place. Um, so I'm actually not surprised that n- nothing, nothing flew out. That would make I a am, huge however, noise, wouldn't it? <laughs> Coming open like that? I mean, I tell you, I uh, whew, uh, just, just can't imagine what that must be like. Um, I mean, uh, it's just I a testament to on aircraft all the time, but not quite the same as this. yeah. But I mean, just well, just you do we it were on talking purpose. about this yesterday. Now we need the cause of it. To kick, the, uh, kick the right rudder the to get pilot it. was a jumper so. dumper. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Steph's was. making a good point. She thought immediately. Well, all you have to do is do something with the rudder to close that door. Right, <laughs> yeah. what, which rudder just would you rudder. use in this case? Uh, the door's on the left, so right. Yeah, right rudder would have taken care of it. Mm-hmm. Steph had been mm-hmm. on that. Wouldn't have been a big deal at all. We wouldn't be talking like about that. it probably. Yep. Yep. <laughs> no, the interesting thing about those doors though is that they're they're um they're limited to about sixty to sixty five knots open. Yeah, not so it's uh I mean the fact that these guys will obviously below two fifty because they're only five thousand feet, and I tell you, in Germany they like their two fifty on the dot. Um, so they're at 250 knots, um, which is way, way outside the, um, I guess, operating envelope for that door. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's one thing. The other thing is uh, just just the fact that it uh, hung on is just a testament to the um, the modification, of the, I guess, the engineering that goes behind in the reinforcing of that area. Because you, know, you you look at it, that door is structural because it's 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 part of the fuselage and uh once that's no longer there the structural integrity of the entire fuselage is in, is in question and not only that but if the door breaks off and flies aft it can hit you know the vertical or horizontal stabilizer making a bad day even worse so uh just it's just amazing they were able to you know uh stop their climb come right back and uh put it on the ground safely um I would have had a couple of stiff uh, scotches after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so would I. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we are assuming that it would be extremely unlikely for the locking mechanism to fail, right? So what, what are we saying? It could have been uh, just poorly closed, improperly uh, yeah. closed? Uh, I mean, there's, there's a I – mean, I, uh, I mean, obviously you're going through 5,000 feet. You're not um, – 
cabin altitude. I mean, it's I, just starting to pressurize. Just, just starting to pressurize. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Delta P. And yes, I said Delta P. Oh. I don't think Delta P Ding. is a, is it's much of an issue <laughs> at this stage of the flight. Um. So uh, I I'm I'm with you there, Nick. I think it I think it's it was it was a uh, a problem <laughs> with with, with like. closing door properly. Uh. Now. The 757 and 767 flight deck, exactly the same, you know, aside from minor differences. You have a set of uh, enunciator lights on the overhead panel above the captain's head. And the top row of lights tell you what the condition of the cargo doors uh, are. And uh, you, know, you look up there, and if the cargo door says closed, it's closed. And you go to the to your, to your ICAS screen, and you make sure that there's no uh, doors uh, indication there, and then that's fine. And then... Uh, usually the FO is the one that, uh, closes the, the, the entry, uh, door and, uh, part of this check is to make sure that, uh, the controls for the uh, main deck door are where they're supposed to be. And then the green light's there. And if that's there, then it's fine. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what, what, what the, uh, issue was here. Um, cause it, this, yeah. this certainly, this certainly, uh, affects, um, you know, a lot of, it's a, lot a of very rare occurrence, there. isn't it? Oh, I mean, very, very being... much so. I, rem- I remember so, the, the last time this happened, or, or the, at least that I know of it happening, was a, uh, I believe, a DC-8 in Miami many, many years ago. Took off, and then the, 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 the main deck door flew open. They did the same thing. Came back around, landed with the door open. There's a famous picture of it. Um, but um, as, as you say, Nick, yeah, this is indeed very, very rare. Um, and. Um, I'm curious. Do they use micro switches or proximity sensors on the door? It depends. Uh, they use both. I I know. Okay. I know that. Um, I know that uh, most most doors use micro switches. Micro switches okay. because with with uh, with proximity switch, and it also depends on the kind of operation, the kind of door, and all that. But with with the fuselage expanding and contracting, a proximity switch could lose its effectiveness over time. Versus a micro switch that's attached to the to the to the lock mechanism itself that only engages when it's over top dead center. Um, so most of at least the ones that I know of uh, the aircraft that we fly around uh, use micro switches. Here's a good comment from Pip Jeff. Um, Pip says the door opened in flight and immediately dispatched investigators. Well, that was lucky. <laughs> oh, I don't think they were dispatched from no, the seven fifty seven. No, I think you misunderstood. They were, they were in a, uh, they were in a, they were in a ULD, yeah. just, or a just UDL, maybe a UDL. Yeah, that's what I prefer. <laughs> it's like a like a yodel. UDLs oh, and escape slides. I like it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I I looked at it and I thought, huh. Looks like to me uh, just an extra vertical stabilizer gives you a lot of lateral stability. Yep. So I'm sure this is yeah, exactly Kelly how Kelly Kirk sort of reminding us of the DC-10 problems that uh, yeah. had uh, a door closing issues, and that was down to a faulty locking device combined with people who were closing the door and not uh, checking that the handle was uh, had gone all the way. Um, mm. Yeah, that that, yeah, was, that uh, uh, had tragic results, though. That yeah, Turkish uh, Turkish Airlines in Paris was the the, the tragic one. And it also happened to an American Airlines DC-10, and they were able to put it on the ground. But uh, that did have tragic consequences. Yeah. I also think about I think out of Hawaii there was a I think it was United 747 that 
the one yeah. of the cargo doors opened the lower yeah. deck level cargo doors, but they were able to bring that thing back. And I don't think I'm not sure yeah, if anybody the, got injured on that one or killed, but oh uh, yeah, absolutely. People, yeah. people. So yeah. uh, oh, did they? Someone okay. was. Yeah, that's, that's was, a good uh, point, Rick. Uh, ejected you, from the uh, airplane. You've yeah. got the two uh, pilots, obviously, uh, sitting at the front. Uh, do you actually have anyone in that cargo area, assuming that there wasn't a ULD in the way? Was there any danger to the crew? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Nick. I didn't. I didn't. What, what was the question again? Uh, is there any extra crew members that might have been uh, in danger when that door came open? I, I doubt uh, no. anybody else sitting down or yeah yeah because so uh, usually well I don't know what the configuration or or what this particular conversion looks like but uh, in in the in the um, the dash three hundreds that I fly around uh, the main cargo deck area is physically closed off from the flight deck itself uh, okay. and then on the older dash two hundred conversions. Um, you have a, a very, very strong net that separates uh, what used to be the entryway to an old 767 passenger version. And you still have the access to the flight deck as, as you would in, a, in an old uh, uh, 767 uh, uh, airliner. So it's, it's just basically the, the conversion itself was just clearing out the, uh, the, 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 the top of the fuselage and making it a, a, a main cargo deck. So you don't have a physical um, um, a barrier between the 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 flight the i guess the crew area and the cargo area besides just the little flimsy door um so uh and to go to and to go to the to the uh, main deck area if you know there oftentimes you you, you carry you know livestock around and uh, you, you 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 travel you fly around with a with a group of vets and doctors and all that stuff they need to go back there and check on whatever it is that we're carrying around and to go back there, they need to take a, um, uh, oxygen bottle with them, a full face, uh, uh, shield, because if there, if anything happens back there, there is no supplemental oxygen like you have in commercial airliners. You know, there's, you have to carry your own. And so, uh, but no, at this, at this stage of the flight, everybody, and I, I think it was just the two uh, pilots there. But if there had been anybody else, they would have been up in the flight deck as well, strapped in. So, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully we'll find out what happened there, uh, what kind of a mechanism failed, whether it be a mechanical issue or a human or combo. This one was sent in by a curmudgeonly yeah. guy. Pardon me? This next one was sent in by an old curmudgeon. Oh, Really? So you're saying we should skip this next one because it was sent in by an yeah. old curmudgeon? Okay. <laughs> we don't need just news articles. I just hope you get your drone sound effect ready. Oh, uh, that's really well. That you're supposed to tell me that before I start the show, Nick. Oh, um, was I? Mm, I thought that was the producer's job. Oh yeah. Now Ouch. he's blame Liz. Blame Cannon. Yeah, it's got to be Liz's fault. All right. So let me see. What happens if I hit D? Ooh, I hear it. It's kind of soft, yeah. though. Sorry. <laughs> Wait a said. minute. Where is the uh, volume control on this thing? Huh. Okay, I guess I'll have to do it this way. All right. Next item in uh, the news notebook is a vacuum cleaner drone. No. Uh, Yemen's Houthi rebels use drones to hit civilian jet in Saudi Arabia. 
And rebels in Yemen claimed responsibility for an explosive drone that set an airliner on fire on the tarmac at an airport in Saudi Arabia yesterday. The aircraft, well, that wasn't yesterday, that was a few days ago. The aircraft was parked at Abha Airport in the southwest of the country when it was hit by one of four unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, unleashed by Houthi rebels over the border in Yemen. The group has been fighting a war against the recognized Yemeni government, which is supported by Saudi Arabia for more than six years. Colonel Turki al-Maliki, a Saudi military spokesman, said no one had been injured, but added, the attempt to target Abha Airport is a war crime and put civilian travelers' lives in danger. He said that two explosive drones had been destroyed in the air. Photographs show the passenger plane, a three-year-old Airbus a320 owned by the low-cost carrier fly a deal with a neat hole in its fuselage no one is thought to have been on board the hoodies have hit saudi airports frequently in the past few years but this is the first time a passenger plane has been confirmed as set on fire it's an ominous uh, ominous uh, or ominous your choice indication of the increasing accuracy of the rebels missile technology last or missile if you prefer Last Thursday, President Biden said he was reversing his predecessor's designation of the Houthis as a terrorist organization. He also said he planned to end U.S. support for Saudi offensive operations in Yemen, although assistance for Saudi self-defense would continue. The Houthis, who are backed by Iran, defended the attack. Quote, the UAV Air Force targeted the airfields of warplanes at Abha International Airport, which is used for military purposes to target the Yemeni people. And they used four drones. Uh, the strike was accurate. Thanks be to God. So, wait a minute. So this is a military airplane, um, Nick? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a new Air Force, I think. <laughs> uh, what were they? Their fly the deal. Low-cost. Low fly a deal. Air yeah, low-cost low Air Force. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. 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 You can you can tell that this A320 has been equipped with all sorts of uh, military paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. Uh, indeed, it's got the registration fab on it, uh, so that is oh, definitely very uh, dangerous. Yeah. Is that kind yeah. of a provocative uh, word in that area? Of the yeah, world? anyone okay. who used to watch Thunderbirds, FAB. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, was Thunderbirds a thing when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, FAB. Okay. So. Um, <laughs> hey, stuff. <laughs> I, I was still here. It's okay. The news badge is covering completely <laughs> Steph's video square. That's fine. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I was but just trying we, to be silly in the background. You know what? You, you could take care of it if you want. It's okay. But Liz, could, uh, Liz is but gone. It's fine. That's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, Liz is gone. has no uh, idea. Here, uh, let me see. Uh, I think I can hide that. Um, uh, where is it? Here we go. Boom. There we go. <laughs> there she is. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry, I, uh, Nick. I'm going to be silly while you guys were talking about this very serious. No, no, at all. I've seen a picture of something similar, and uh, it looks like a standard sort of UAV drone you'd buy with a little camera attached, and then they've just hung a, I don't know, three or four inch tube of explosive on it. Uh, I, I'm just a bit curious why they would try and attack that bit. You'd have thought that they landed it on the wing mm. where all the fuel is. Mm. I'm not trying to give them ideas. You understand? <laughs> yeah. Sounds yes, like you are. <laughs> I mean, they might they, have been a bit per, more effective. Per their quote, the strike was Taking accurate. notes right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're... 
They were obviously heading for the FAB insignia. They didn't like yeah, that. Yeah, clearly. They didn't like that. Yeah, but it, it is a worry when civilian analyzers start being attacked by mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. uh, rebel groups. Although it used to happen a lot in Star Wars, I gather, that rebels used to attack oh. the civilian airlines. <laughs> okay. So clearly you can see here that uh, the, the hoodies are not being terrorist people at all. That's why we're not going to call no, that no, anymore. No, whatsoever. <laughs> Not okay. going there. Yeah, nope. <laughs> nope, we don't do politics on this show. Okay, let's move on to this one then. How about, um, or did we do we want to say anything else, Nick, about that? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, item D, ASN Aircraft Access, oh, Air, um, Aviation Safety Network. Um, this is where this is from. Aircraft accident, an Antonov AN-12BK RF95416, <laughs> I don't know what that, all that means. Uh, Iturup Airport, does anybody have any idea? Iturup? I, sure. Sure, okay, ITU, look it up. <laughs> and It's in Russia. It's close to Japan. It's near, it's near Japan. Oh, it's near to Japan, um, according An to Liz. An island close to Japan, yeah. I looked it up. Oh, okay. Hmm. Well, how do you pronounce that? I have no idea. Well, <laughs> Next time when you look it up, figure out how to pronounce it, and you can tell me in my ear, and then I can sound really smart. Well, I can yeah, try anyway. Like it <laughs> It'll take more than that. I know. But you bam. Set myself up for that one. Um, yeah. Russian Air Force AN-12 damage during hard landing. This is from a breaking aviation news and videos, breaking Av News uh, Twitter account. Russian Air Force AN-12 damage during hard landing in a blizzard at this island airport in Russia. Must be like one of the... Uh, what do they call those? The uh, Aleutian Islands and the in the Bering Strait and that kind of south thing. South of that. South okay. of that. Uh, no injuries are reported. And uh, let me see if I can share this picture here. This is kind of sad, actually. I wasn't sure exactly what happened here when I was looking at the pictures initially until I read the narrative that talked about uh, it being a hard landing. And uh, you can see the uh, the whole left main structure is has completely collapsed. And that's got to be really hard landing because I would imagine that would be a pretty beefy kind of a, you know, so it's, it's a military cargo airplane. Yeah. And, and a Russian one at that. So yeah. Must've so been it's, uh, very hard. Yeah. Must've been rare. Really? Oh man. Maybe the visibility was so bad that. Yeah. Know, that's, that's what I was going to go for there. Just imagine, I, I, I imagine it being kind of a, a wide at situation where you can't really judge height and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and these percentions. A- yeah, AN-12 being a, a 68 model uh, doesn't strike me as the type that would have a Grand Proximity Warning System, you know, altered callouts <laughs> on landing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. But uh, for for that to happen, it must have been quite uh, quite the touchdown. Looks like- yeah, it looks a pretty rough area, 7,000 foot of concrete, the runway, but uh, doesn't exactly look uh, very salubrious out there. No, that's that's that. like part of the Kuril Islands. Kuril, like just north and east of Japan. Hokkaido, isn't that that northern island? Hokkaido, um, and then or that larger landmass, and then out to the northeast of it is where yes. the yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's weather out there is not very pleasant usually most of the time of the year. Yeah, I'm looking at the last picture mm-hmm. uh, with that. Uh, Funny looking nose cone that's sticking out there. <laughs> yeah, what is that? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, well, I believe. Yeah, literally, what is that? 
Because it uh, looks like a bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Somebody fired, yeah. and it just happens to be the same darn color as the airplane. As the airplane. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what that no, is. Only, I'm, I was only joking. I think oh, it's part um, of the. Oh, it uh, came off the prop on the. Oh, you think so? Go back up. Go up. Oh, hey, Steph has nailed it. See the nose oh, yes. count on the so number one is gone. Yeah, that's right. It's a, that yeah. propeller boss. There we go. Wow. I thought That's it was part boss. of the gear structure. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to blend the Houthis again. Yeah, well, another explosive <laughs> <Yeah>. drone. <laughs> okay. Anything else here? Sakhalin. Sakhalin. Oh, so it's, I see that in the picture here. It says Sakhalin.info, uh, where the picture came from. The Sakhalin Islands. Um, yeah. Aren't those, isn't that the chain of islands? Um, if anybody remembers that uh, the uh, Korean... Airline Korean 007 was shot the 007? down. Yeah, I think so. That area. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's move on to our last item in the news. Notebook. Um, Manta DHC6 at Male. Is that right? <laughs> sure. On on the in the Maldives. 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 On uh, February 14th. Oh, the Maldives, yeah. On Valentine's Day. Flipped upside down during landing on floats. A Manta Oops. Air de Havilland Dash DHC six three hundred twin otter registration eight Quebec Romeo Alpha Echo performing flight one one seven from Como Malafushi to Mali. Ma- thank you, Maldives, with six passengers and three crew landed at Malay's water north right runway at seven thirty. Parallel water runways. Yeah, <laughs> at uh, seven thirty one. Apparently, <laughs> that uh, flipped over. Came to a stop upside down. All occupants were rescued, taken to the hospital, and later discharged. Two occupants received minor injuries. Wow! From the looks of this, in this picture, I'm a surprise that nobody had more than. This I'm glad minor everyone got out. Injuries. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Yeah. I mean, you're upside down. down in an airplane underwater. Like not not a good situation. No. no. no you For think about it. Uh, your all orientation. The sea, and, yeah. All the North Sea uh, oil rig people have to practice getting out of uh, a helicopter rig upside down just in case they end up in this situation. This is not going to be the normal sort of thing that a holiday maker is going to be ready for, being mm. upside down yeah. in the fuselage. Uh, I'm just amazed that no one drowned. Absolutely mm-hmm. amazed. And it really doesn't tell us anything doesn't tell us why i mean the no. picture shows relatively calm looking water there on a nice day but mm-hmm. i don't know what the uh let's see whether uh, doesn't look especially no. bad nothing looks uh, terrible. 140 at uh, 30 so, oh that's this time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 140 at 300 wow Eight knots, nine, nine knots. No, yeah, eight knots, nine knots. Terribly. No, yeah, well, that's not a lot of wind. Nice At least weather. the temperature was nice and warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah very nice. Like eighty-two degrees uh, Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. 28, 29. Mm-hmm. Very nice. People go there to scuba dive. They just got a yeah. uh, early yeah. start. Oh, well, here let me let me play this because people are listening to the audio only podcast are wondering why I'm I'm telling people what you are saying. So here we go. Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post-show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. So Liz tells us that uh, people go to the Maldives to, um, 
to dive, you know, snorkel and scuba, they just kind of went, they just skipped the middleman right here, right? They, yeah, just they probably thought they were in their, their submarine going, <laughs> gazing at the, the barrier, the reef and, uh, you know, the fishes. I'd just like to say that that's very insensitive of you. Um, those <laughs> very insensitive. Okay. <laughs> What's that? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for us to move on, thank goodness, to the Getting to Know Us segment. It's that time in the show where we talk about what we have been doing in between show episode recordings. So, um, Rick, you weren't with us uh, last episode, um, unfortunately. That was uh, due to a last-minute uh, snafu or something with... Yeah, so I I, uh, I picked up a trip, and um, I before I did it, I made sure that I'd be at the layover hotel before the show started. But in expert cargo fashion, you know, things uh, kind of, uh, you know, started running a little bit late. And so... Um, Ended up making it to um, uh, my hotel uh, way after the show was, uh, had ended, so uh, it uh, it just just didn't work out. But uh, uh, flew back home uh, the day after, and then uh, headed uh, headed out to work uh, last uh, day before yesterday uh, for another lovely stint of uh, reserve here in Ontario. Area. Um, and yesterday they, uh, they, uh, they actually, um, they activated me, which is what's kind of interesting. Um, wasn't expecting it. Uh, and, uh, I, uh, took a jet from, uh, here over to St. Louis and, uh, back, uh, over here, made it back here, uh, right after, uh, just after midnight, uh, this morning and, um, uh, sitting in a reserve, uh, again until, uh, next, uh, Monday. So, uh, nice, uh, nice and quiet right now. Uh, so, uh, looking forward to, uh just relaxing today because uh, yesterday was a uh, a little stressful we got to st louis and um <laughs> so the the we parked over at the north cargo ramp and i think they had a, a couple of new wing walkers um it's basically when you're coming into when coming into the to, to the parking uh, bay you have uh, th- uh, two wing walkers one on each side and then your marshaller who stands at the end of the of the line that you're going to be taxiing up uh, telling you, you know, you know whether you're right, left of the line, keeping you on center line, telling you when to stop. Um, and so one one of the wing walkers, apparently a new guy, um, uh, he was pointing at the wrong uh, parking bay, <laughs> and I'm like, and clearly he wanted me to go somewhere I couldn't because there was you know a bunch of stuff there and I couldn't go there, and 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 the guy just he just I. I, I, I had to I had to say something to the to, to the rep there. I was like, you know, you can't you can't have somebody, you know, and and at such a critical post, not knowing what the heck they're doing. One because it's unsafe, and then two because I it, it was really as as we were talking earlier, it was really tricky uh, taxiing around, and even even more so. Uh, I mean, if if they don't treat taxiways, I tell you, they're definitely not treating um, uh, cargo ramps. Right, and so trying to get that jet parked. And fit you know between two park jets on either side, and you know you have you know ULDs all over the place, and cars and trucks and all all, all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's, you, you have to you have to you know rely on these people, and if they don't know what the heck they're doing, 
then what do you do? So all I did is just, I just, I, I put the brakes on till they got their act together. Um, and then eventually they figured it out. Um, it was like telling them to go left when he really wanted you to go to the right or something like that. Or like the opposite. Well, of what- so, so, so basically, basically you're, what you're supposed to do is like both wing walkers, um, are supposed to point at where your parking bay is. So what mm-hmm. they'll do is they'll, 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 so let's say the, the parking bay is, it's over here to my left, right? So they'll, they'll, they'll extend their, their, their left hand with the wand or just their hand during the daytime. And then they'll raise their right hand pointing at where the stand is. And the guy on the opposite side will do the opposite thing, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, you, so you know where to look. So the, the guy that was, the, the guy that was on, on the left side was pointing at the, at the right parking bay and I'm going, well, there's nothing there, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was just, it was just a mess. And then on top of that, um, you know, you really couldn't see the, 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 the parking line, uh, because it's just all snowy. So there's an icy and patchy and all kinds. So it was, it was, I, I was, I was glad to get the heck out of there. Uh, we, uh, ended up, uh, leaving, uh, an hour and a half, well, almost, almost two hours late, um, out of there because again, you know, uh, freight wasn't showing up and, uh, cause you know, I guess I imagine road conditions and all sorts of other stuff. Um, but the good thing is I did have the, uh, maintenance personnel here, uh, fuel me for the way out and the way back. Cause I'm like, well, watch something's going to happen. And, uh, they're going to screw up the fuel as well. So I, you know, talked to operations and I figured out what the uh, expected load for the flight from, from St. Louis back here was going to be. And I was like, you know what, just, just top me off for, with, with all the fuel I need to just come back. So I don't have to deal with the fueling down there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that ended up paying, you know, you know being, being a good thing. Cause, uh, it, uh, it would, it would have uh, delayed us even more so, but they eventually made it, made it safe back here and, uh, sitting here till Monday. So. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Excellent. And uh, the weather is probably a little bit more pleasant in Ontario, California. Oh, it was it was beautiful day for flying last night. I tell you, it was just completely clear. We, you know, even even St. Louis was clear. It was great. I mean, I looked at the TAF for uh, for today. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to be in St. Louis today. Nope. But uh, yesterday it was just gorgeous. Not a cloud in the sky the whole way, and uh, flew right over Vegas. Uh, Beautiful shot of that. Came over the mountains. and uh landed back here right after midnight just just a beautiful night to fly not even windy nothing just great all righty captain nick retired virgin a330 a340 captain also yeah not nothing ever happens to me jeff oh okay well then we'll just move on to now i'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh my wife and i got our jabs Yay. so we're now i uh, got you know the first part of the Vaccine inoculation. I'm very pleased to have done that and recommend it to everybody. Very few side effects. Uh, we had the Pfizer, if that's uh, any good. I don't know. A little that's the one I have. She approves. Hopefully, um, we're in good company there, but it doesn't matter. Whichever one you can get, go for it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than that, I've actually been putting my feet up a little bit because uh, I already had today's plain tale done. And uh, I was just really sorting out a subject, and <laughs> well done, <laughs> Carl. Just just realised I'm retired. Um, yeah, just get getting a uh, um, a subject for next next week's, and uh, wrote the first few lines, looking for an intro into probably a very well known uh, aviation personality, but not so well known out of. The United States. So I'm hoping there'll be a reasonable number of our listeners will find it uh, intriguing. 
certainly this man lived a very colourful uh, and exciting in inverted commas life. Oh, interesting. Hey, I don't know what kind of engine you're sitting on, but uh, I would check one of those cylinders. Looks like the number seven might be uh, burning some oil or something. There's just smoke. You reckon? You know, just pouring from yeah. I, I keep you getting and... a funny whiff. I, I, <laughs> you should check I on that. I just thought I was drinking too much beer. <laughs> or you could be skydiving, Liz says. <laughs> That's what could Jen Niffer thought. You were oh, doing. Jen yeah. Niffer in our live audience mm-hmm. said. It looks and like for that. those who uh, who had uh, <laughs> listening to this, I've just got a little video of clouds whistling by. Yes, making us all dizzy. In my background. Yes. Very nice. Yes. All right. Steph, how about yourself? What have you been up to? Nothing. Yeah. No, that's not true. Nothing yeah. exciting. I mean, really dull past 24 hours. Spe- yeah, especially yeah. the last 24 hours. Very, very dull. Yeah. <laughs> no, we had a uh, a repeat of two weeks ago? Last week. Uh, last week. Was the only week. time we got together? Yeah. Last week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was just a week apart. Okay. It's been busy in other realms yeah. of my life. Had to keep right there, but kind of was on similar trip so um we met up again for some more tacos at white duck taco shop and you brought your fo along with what, you this time, white duck right? tacos white duck taco shop mm-hmm. excellent yeah very good gourmet duck. tacos taco shop um so that was really nice it was nice to hang out with um you and brent and brent yeah. right brent yes yeah, so you and, finally and, got a chance um, to meet my favorite yeah, fo quite a bit about him unless there's another fo watching at this moment and you're They're definitely just, my favorite. You're definitely my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Whatever, whoever yeah, you are. <laughs> good conversation. And um, Jeff and I shared some, uh, had a good beer, a couple mm-hmm. of beers. And, you know, I was saying, um, Jeff actually needs to come back more often because it's only when he's in town that the weather seems to be nice. Yeah. So a week ago, Tuesday, it was sunny and 60 degrees. And then I didn't see the sun for five days. It was cold and rainy and gross. And then he shows up yesterday. Sun's back out. Yeah. Relatively mild temperatures. It's the way I do it. Yeah. It was nice today, <laughs> yeah. too. So, you know, it's you left that. It's just the way, the place the sun shines from, we all worry about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you should, actually. <laughs> yeah. Sun, sun's still shining today and tomorrow's going to be gross. So. Yeah. Uh, as as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well. But. Yeah, we had a great time. Um, she picked us up, went yeah, over to nice. the taco shop, and oh, I should probably just let you finish what else you were going to say. Haven't I been able to go out have... and do any skydiving or flying or anything uh, because well, of the I crappy mean, weather. Yeah, right? last last weekend the weather was terrible. It was I think Saturday was like a high of thirty four Fahrenheit, so like one degree Celsius, and just rained, poured rain the entire day, mm-hmm. and Sunday wasn't much better. Um, so not nice for outdoor activities of any kind. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very happy to see the sun again. Looking forward to, I think we were saying earlier, spring is coming soon, hopefully. I'm, I'm very excited for that. Um, definitely ready for warmer days and nicer weather and sunshine and all that good stuff. Actually, we had, um, we had thunderstorms on Saturday night. It was mm-hmm. cold and raining and thunderstorms. Um, or maybe, yeah, Sunday night, I think it was. Or was it... Anyway. Um... Sunday night. It was Monday night. Tuesday Did I say Sunday Monday or Saturday? Night. Monday night. I don't know. Monday? Yeah. I don't know. One of those days, it was, yeah. it was not great. We had the same thing. Yeah. It was really nasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, same kind of, you know, the, the weather pattern that Steph gets in Charlotte is very similar to what we get down here in Atlanta. We just yeah, we take it and set it up your usually. way. <laughs> yeah. 
Thanks. Um, Thanks a lot. Yeah, tornadoes and everything else, uh, Kelly. Yeah, tornado says. out on the coast. Mm-hmm. Not not great. Not great. Yep, that time of year, you know, when uh, winter mm-hmm. is trying to get pushed out of the way by spring and uh, does not relent. And uh, there can be a lot of weather issues. We're, we're going to have a going to talk one of our pieces of feedback uh, involves weather i don't know if you had a chance to look at that stuff but uh it's um uh, interesting and you're the nope, you are um looked at it. expert meteorologist yeah. meteorologist uh-huh. amateur meteorologist, <laughs> amateur <laughs> meteorologist. she's yeah. our weather girl our weather girl yep anyway um yeah had a uh, so i i was on a a 3 day trip uh, that kind of fell apart really um the first couple of legs up to Chicago and back Chicago had just the, the snow had just ended when we were landing up there. So it was very, very cold, but the sky was blue, but it was, everything was covered with snow, but it, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad except as I said, the temperature, I think it was like, um, minus 17 Celsius, which was like, I think two degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Almost zero. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, so it was, it was chilly and, uh, we, Went up there and got out of there, came back to Atlanta. They canceled the um, next leg, which was supposed to be to um, Houston, because of that big mess of a weather winter weather system that hit Texas and just kind of caused all kinds of havoc. We canceled, our airline canceled a bunch of flights, or almost all the airlines did. Everything was pretty much paralyzed in uh, Texas. And uh, so they uh, said, you know, after you come back from Chicago, go home. And then come back tomorrow and fly to Charlotte. Uh, okay, you can do that. Except they almost didn't let you go home directly. They from almost Chicago. did. Yeah, we're rolling onto the ramp, and they go, "Oh, uh, yeah, did you get your message, your reroute message?" And we went, "Huh? <laughs> no." And they said, "Yeah, we need, uh, we need." I don't know exactly what they said, but we interpreted it as interpreted it as both of us needing to go and fly to Norfolk, Virginia, and back, and then you can go home. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. I want to go home. But I walked over there <laughs> and uh, I, I said it exactly like that on the radio. I don't want to go. Uh, you can't make Well, you can't make me. So I, we were walking over. We grabbed a, a, a really bad tasting wrap thing, chicken like Caesar salad meal. wrap that didn't have enough Caesar salad dressing on it uh, from one of those little you know kiosk things because we knew that um, – Norfolk wasn't going to have a good selection of, uh, of food. And uh, then we were walking over and hey, we need to use the restroom, the uh, lavatory, uh, before we go to the gate. And we noticed there was a first officer standing there, um, kind of folding up the paper flight plan. And I think that's kind of odd. Maybe it's just somebody like deadheading or commuting and just trying to help out or something. Walked over there and he looks at me and he goes, are you, are you the captain that's going to be flying to uh, – Norfolk with me? I mean, I, yeah, I guess. And so it turns out it was just me for the reroute, uh, not not Brent. And uh, so I thought, I, I don't want to go, especially without Brent. <laughs> um, and uh, then the guy looked at me like, yeah, I don't want to fly with this guy because he's crying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he explains that the captain apparently uh, was notified, but the captain claims that he wasn't notified or something. I don't know what the miscommunication was, but he said, but I think he's here. Uh, I've been communicating with him, uh, you know, via text. And I think he's already, you know, gotten on the train and he's about to emerge through security. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to take this opportunity away from this guy. 
So I called out crew tracking and said, Hey, they said he's here. And the guy goes, okay, you're released. Yes. So Brett and I went over and then we were trying to figure out because of the, um, the weather that we were about to receive later that night. And it was, you know, it was rain and just yucky. I mean, it was horrible weather here. I'm thinking I would, I would have been flying in that back from Norfolk, uh, to Atlanta, right about the time that there were thunderstorms and just raining cats and dogs here. Oh, but yeah, we, right. that was Monday night. It was, yeah, Monday, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we were uh, eating our really bad chicken salad, Caesar salad wraps, uh, trying to decide whether we were going to try to get a hotel at the airport because we were kind of concerned whether or not we were going to be able to make it back from our homes the next day, the next morning to get on the flight to fly to Charlotte. And so we kind of discussed that a little bit and then decided we're going to go ahead and chance it and hopefully by the time – it was later in the morning that, you know, by the time we'd be heading to the airport that everything would have dried up and there wouldn't be a lot of icing issues. And we were right. It, it wasn't bad uh, driving back. So anyway, and then we went to Charlotte. We went to the White Duck Taco Shop, as uh, Steph mentioned, and had a great time. And today, uh, very early, it was like a 440 pickup, <laughs> and, you know, six o'clock departure and uh, flew to Atlanta. We're getting vectored for the... Um, visual approach basically to uh, the the northernmost runway and then all of a sudden they say acme so and so um approach clearance canceled uh fly 010 heading maintain 3000 and we're going like what what was going on here i mean it's you know visual approaches and everything else and he said the runway 8 left is closed and they didn't explain why and then we're going okay what do we do now and then she said uh do you do you see 9 right which is I was expecting them to maybe move us over to eight right, which is pretty close to eight left. Nine right's the next couple of runways over in the middle complex. And went, yeah. And she said, okay, um, if you're comfortable with it, you cleared the visual approach to nine right. I went, oh, okay. And we're looking over there, making sure there are no air, other airplanes <laughs> lined up for that runway. On approach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, we didn't see any. And so we kind of just kind of fit right on in. And and we didn't have enough time to hardly do anything, but just look outside. And I said, look, I see the pappies and you know, to, to dial up, you know, in the old, the old airplane, it was easy. Just, you know, go up there and you just put the new frequency in and this airplane. You can't mm-hmm. do that. I mean, I'm most modern airplanes that, you know, Nick's, I mean, Rick's is, is, is nodding his head. Yeah. You got to go into the box and you got to put in the new runway in the box. Right. Is that what you have to do with your airplane Rick? Or no, not, you not just dial six, seven, six, oh, that's right. You're old school. You just dial old it up. School. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I miss that. School. I mean, nice. I'm thinking, okay, yeah. well, I don't really have time to do that but i see the runway it's visual conditions i see the pappy we're right on the glide slope and you know we configured the airplane and and proceeded to land on on nine right and uh, but you know the, the the whole system was kind of getting upset with us because it was using the glide slope from the runway that we were originally supposed to land on it was going glide slope it's like when you you when you deviate from like your gps in your car and it's like recalculating recalculating Recalculating. (laughs) that's what it should have said recalculating your glide slope um but uh we were you know perfectly safe and all visual and everything else and and that's what we after we got on the ground we thought that's the reason why you got to know how to fly an airplane manually you know Exactly. Uh, otherwise, you know, if you try to fix everything uh, in the box with both of your heads down, it's just unsafe. So, and that's another thing. I mean, you you are very very familiar with that airport. So mm-hmm. if if they ask 
me to do that and be like, uh, oh, yeah, I wouldn't nope. have done it. It had been, not been the air, my home airport for the last 32 years. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's that's another very, would have been very a bad. Important. I mean, I, I, I do this. I mean, I'd probably do the same in Miami, but mm-hmm. uh, I would I wouldn't have done it anywhere else because I'm just not familiar. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just, sure. you know, just give me vectors back and around and, uh, you know, yeah. dial it in and come back in and just you know, land safe. So, yeah, and we're paid by the minute anyway. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we weren't on a time crunch at all. We were actually it's running true. pretty early. But um, yeah, we we both assessed the situation and thought this is this is safe and we're we're both comfortable with it and and uh, they had clearance for us and we got on the ground. So and uh, then we went down to uh, Melbourne, Florida. Some thunderstorms down there. We wasn't expecting that kind of weather. Um, but uh, and then they turned the airport around and uh, said we're running localizer back courses to uh, Ooh, runway two seven left. Nice. And then, uh, is, then that, thinking, is that still a thing? Well, apparently. yeah, and but apparently not on the airplane that I fly because it wasn't one of the choices in our database. And, <laughs> okay, I don't think we're going to be able to do the localizer back course. So let's do the let's ask them. We can do the the RNAV to two seven left, and we yeah. got set up for that. Got it all briefed, and then we're coming around and. Um, they're saying that the ceiling's 700 feet. The minimums on this thing is 500. No problem. Uh, coming down, coming down. But we're the ceiling where we were about, you know, the the point at which you have to see the runway um, or do a miss. What that was lower out there, and so we're going like mm. in this layer. I'm going, uh oh, you know, approaching minimums. You see anything? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then right at minimums, uh, airport in sight. A runway in sight nice. and landed and and I was kind of surprised that I was expecting the RNAV to, to kind of be a little bit more accurate with lining up on the <laughs> runway. It was not really it was more like a VOR approach, you know. It was not super not like an ILS approach where looking you know, you, at the airport. Well and that's the thing with, with with RNAV approaches. So you'll get you'll get straight in you'll 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 get in straight in minimums on a uh, a a VOR approach uh, if the azimuth is within 30 degrees of your landing runway. Mm-hmm. Not the case for RNAV. You'll get um, uh, straight in minimums if the if the azimuth is only 15 degrees. Anything outside of 15 degrees, you get circular land minimums. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, usually uh, RNAV approaches are uh, backup to uh, local letter back horses. That's how I've flown them. Yeah, and so they're usually pretty you know pretty pretty dead on so it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to, i'm surprised i will say one to two seven uh yeah two seven left um i will say that had we flown the localizer back course it probably would have lined us up perfectly with the runway but it's uh we had we'd have to add 50 feet to that uh derived decision altitude on that and mm. we would not have seen anything so we would yeah. have gotten mm-hmm. this on that one mm-hmm. so you know yeah it was just like okay there's a, oh there's a runway <laughs> move over and line up with that runway and land. So after that, I thought, okay, Brent, I don't think we should fly together anymore. Just, <laughs> I don't know what's going on today, but it's not working out very well. I was just about to say, I was really uh, glad to meet Brent and he was a nice guy and I can see why you like flying with him so much. So. <laughs> Too yeah. bad you're not going to be flying together anymore. Yeah, was just, we decided for the safety of everybody, uh, we, we shouldn't fly together. No, it was just kind of two, two right in a row, you know, things that were just a little bit not normal. Uh, but you know, worked out because we have a lot of experience, the two of us together. So anyway, so that was my interesting day. And then it was pretty much, you know, anticlimactic, uh, once we got back to Atlanta and, uh, we, we get to fly again next week, Monday through Wednesday. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. <sighs> that's it. 
I spent more time than I expected to there. Oh, um, right after the show recording last week, uh, I was in Philadelphia when we recorded. Uh, the next morning, we flew from Philadelphia to Atlanta, and a gentleman came on board um, from um, another airline pilot uh, from Spirit Airlines. His name is Ron, and I'm sorry, Ron, if um, I mispronounce your last name, K-L-I-M-O-F-F, Klimoff, Klimoff. I'm not sure because he didn't say what his last name was. And uh, he said, hey, I'm, um, he, he pops his head in and then he goes, Captain Jeff? I went, uh-huh. And he goes, I listen to your show and all that kind of stuff. So I was a fan of our show. And uh, so it was kind of neat to, uh, to meet Ron. And he said, hey, I'm heading down to uh, through Atlanta, going to Tri-Cities, um, which is a smaller airport in the, uh, what would that be, north um, north uh, eastern part of Tennessee, really pretty area. Um, and I'm trying to remember the Tri-Cities. Let's see, Bristol, Johnson City, and Kingsport, City. I think. Yes, correct. I got it right? Okay, good. And sure. uh, yeah, um, he was going down there, uh, had purchased a very nice Ram pickup truck. And he sent me a photo of that, all covered in, caked in snow. And he drove that up from Philadelphia. Well, he sent me this little note here. Let me read it. Uh, hey, Jeff, thanks again for the ride from Philly to Atlanta yesterday. It was so cool meeting you. What are the chances? Sorry I didn't chat after the flight. I was trying to get to Tri-Cities. And with our de-icing delay that we had in Philadelphia, I was cutting it close. Got to the gate just in time to see the jetway rolling, pulling back. No big deal. I took the next one three hours later. Then I drove from Abington, Virginia to Brumall, PA, which took about seven and a half hours. The truck is awesome. See the pics. It needs to be de-iced. And they said, enjoy some coffee on me. He sent us a coffee fund donation. And so thank you very much for that, Ron. Anyway, uh, next time you're in Philly, let me know. He says, I know where to find cheesesteak. So Rick, we should probably give you Ron's telephone number yeah, as well. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to need that. Uh, so, because I couldn't believe I couldn't find a cheesesteak in Philly. Yeah, when, like, when I was there the for the show last week, um, I, there, were, there was one probably about, I don't know, six blocks or so. But the weather was kind of chilly out there. It wasn't ideal. So I decided against walking to, I think, Jim's. Is that one of the stuff? Is that one of the... Jim's? Yeah, Jim's yeah, on South Street. Yeah, South Street. Yeah, That's fourth, actually fourth and South, I think. Don't anyway. quote me on the... which. North South Street is on, but it's on South yeah. Street, which runs. East I think West. yeah, because I know that because that's what our our mm. hotel, hotel guy said. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so uh, again, nice to meet you, Ron. Uh, it was a as much a thrill for me as it was for you, and I'm glad that you got uh, to Tri Cities and picked up your truck and got home safely. And I look forward to meeting up with you again next time or one of these times I'm in Philly. Okay. A nice segue into the coffee fund there. That is a great segue into the coffee fund. You're, you're right, Liz. So without further ado, let me hit this thing here that says coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right, the Coffee Fund, your way to support the show financially, if you have the financial resources to do that. And a couple of different ways to do that on APG. Uh, first is the classic method 
via PayPal, where you can make a one-time or recurring donation. And since the last episode, Ron, we were just talking about him, Klemif, Klemif, uh, Mazuts Karim, Nigel Demery, who's with us in the live audience, and Jenny Parkinson over in Rome. So thank you all of you for donating to the uh, Coffee Fund Classic, or the Coffee Fund. And the other thing that we have here is uh, Patreon. And uh, we have three, count them, three new executive producers. Darren Nolan, George Puttock, or Puttock, and Seal Beach Mark. What'd you say? Watch how you say that name. I have to be careful about the way I say that, yes. Uh, And Seal Beach Mark. And uh, we have some feedback from him as well. So thank you all of you new producers and to Patreon. We do appreciate that. And if you want to learn more about the Coffee Fund, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. Captain, incoming message. All right, let's start with uh, some feedback from Robert. He actually sent us a couple of pieces of feedback. He said, um, let's see, PIA, Pakistan International Airlines, I believe, will confiscate crew passports on layovers after flight attendants repeatedly go, quote, missing. And also, uh, who and what is a linear air taxi? So let's start off with the first one. Hi, crews. I suspect... Y'all haven't had a desire to stay in a destination country on a layover. I mean, really stay in the destination country. Like not go back for your yeah, return stay flight? forever. <laughs> permanent. Yeah. Uh, but thought I would at least ask. And then he sends us a link to um, a blog, one mile at a time.com. And um, let's see, the uh, article or the uh, blog says that... Uh, Pakistan International Airlines will start confiscating crew passports during layovers after a flight attendant went missing in Toronto again. Now, Liz, do you have it's anything to do with fault. this? Yeah. Well, <laughs> she, it's such a great place. Who wouldn't want to stay? You know, you, what about that new roommate uh, that you were telling us about that's been yeah. staying with you since? <laughs> hmm. The flight um, attendant's name is Poppy. <laughs> Poppy. Ah, we just thought that was your new puppy, but uh, puppy, I see no. something clever. entirely different. Yeah. Um. So over the weekend, a PIA flight attendant went missing in Toronto. Flight 798 operated from Lahore to Toronto, and the crew had a layover there. Everything seemed fine until the crew was supposed to work the flight back to Pakistan, at which point one of the flight attendants didn't show up. The airline has launched an inquiry into the situation and has also reported this to Canadian immigration authorities. This is the second time in about six months that a crew member didn't show up for the return flight out of Toronto. I mean, it's such a lovely place. In July, twenty twenty. Yeah, in July. Why would you want to leave? I know. That's what she was thinking. Apparently, or he. Hotel California. (laughs) The Hotel California. (laughs) Yes, you can never, (laughs) never leave. Uh, In July, twenty twenty, a PIA flight attendant also went missing. (laughs) Again, in quotes, during a layover in Toronto. And in the previous incident, the flight attendant had informed the airline he would be going to another city, and at that point, he became unreachable. Uh, even the incident last July wasn't the first time this had happened during a layover in Toronto. Those Canadians. Um, mm. So now they're going to hold on to the crew passports. Uh, right so I guess they confiscate them. That's not the only airline. They're going to take that, their right? ID. So hmm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you'll definitely uh, not be able to leave the country. How does that stop so, them going missing? Yeah, perfect. it doesn't really. 
I mean, if you're uh, gonna, if you're, uh, gonna, if you don't plan to go back, do you need your original passport anymore? <laughs> you know, yeah, you don't need your if passport you're gonna anymore. You're going to claim asylum or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe well they haven't out. thought well this thought through out. then. <laughs> I don't think they have. I think we could. I mean, they didn't consult us. No, no. Fix this problem. Clearly, we would have charged a very reasonable fee for a consultation on this matter. Just, yeah. re- just remember yeah. that next time, PIA or any other airline out there with this issue or problem. <laughs> Um, anyway, so, um, Robert, by the way, I keep saying he lives north of the big chicken, but apparently he said south of the big chicken. Thank you very much. So sorry about that, Robert. Um, in May, Reda, Georgia, he said, so, um, like, uh, let's say, I suppose some links that some airlines like Emirates put their crew up in a dormitory, like living arrangement could look a bit different in, in a COVID world. Uh, but wondered if you or any co-workers had encountered anything like this before. Oh, I guess that's another uh, link to airlines. Well, I, I nearly that. went missing, uh, and that's all to, to do with Captain Nige, who's in the chat room. Uh-oh. Uh, do tell. I, I had a, uh, a two-nighter in Hong Kong, and he Ooh. said, oh, instead of just popping up for a, a, a beer when you, when you get in town, why don't uh, we jump a flight and go to Bangkok? So, uh, like, could you pronounce wait, that it? differently, please? I don't think you can. I think you you have to say Bangkok if you're going to Bangkok. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, uh, I, I arrived at the airport and uh, said goodbye to the crew, and uh, um, we jumped uh, on a flight, went to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Spent uh, spent a night in uh, in Bangkok, which was great. Didn't sleep a lot, drank a lot, watched some shows. It was all very uh, all very educational. And that was um, just like my time problem. over in uh, Charlotte yesterday. Last <laughs> educational, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the uh, the only very problem so. was uh, getting home because uh, all of a sudden he said, "Oh, it's looking a bit tight. We may not get seats." And I'm saying, well, actually, I need to be back. Like cause you have to have a seat. <laughs> I, I, yes, I have to get on my flight. <laughs> anyway, we uh, we got back eventually on uh, cabin crew seats. Uh, and <laughs> their cabin crew have done actually, I, I think during takeoff and landing, they're okay. But if I'm not mistaken, Nice might remember, during the cruise, these seats have to be folded up. Uh, out the way, and, and all you can do is perch on a little ledge that sticks out of the top of the seat, uh, which you kind of just like rest your base. So basically, you're, you're half standing for the entire flight, but it was not a very long flight. So uh, there you go. Uh, got back uh, in time to get to the hotel, uh, change back into my uniform, pick up my allowances, <laughs> help ca- cover the uh, cost of the weekend, and get on my flight home. So can't say I was. I, I take it it wasn't your leg back, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I hope not. I hope not. I was a, uh, Do you mind if I just sleep for a little while? Oh, yeah. I was a cruise first officer on the way home, so that's uh, yeah, uh, completely worthless, basically. Yeah. Excellent, Absolutely. excellent. Yeah, but having said that, we, to, to we cruise first officers out there, the email is Jeff at. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I did not mean to imply that cruise first officers were completely. I was just 
<laughs> referring to this or, or specific. Or I'm offended. <laughs> yeah, I'm offended. Absolutely. At, you know, like, like, okay. Go ahead. Bring it on. Essentially worthless, I think, was his quote. Just <laughs> oh, wait a minute. But we, we just rewind about, about 30 flights. seconds. You rewind about 30 seconds and listen to that again if you'd like. Keep digging, Jeff. Keep digging. I know. I'm going to shut uh, up. I, I don't see the uh, the problem Come with, up, uh, you know, as long as you're uh, in touch uh, with what's going on, you check in, make sure everything's okay. You can disappear off for a while. Mm-hmm. That's always kind of a dangerous I, I guess thing, though. As you know? long as you, yeah. yeah, I guess it just gets trickier if you're going to be flying to a different country on your yeah. layover. Yeah, that yeah. seems in terms like of ensuring kind of poor judgment to, to me. Back for your, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I would, well, I would, I, I used to do a little bit. But. I'm, I'm with you there, Nick. I used to do, I used to do stuff like that all the time, all the time, and 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 it was, it was particularly nice when you knew that the airplane you were taking back wasn't going to, wasn't coming back. And, you know, I remember we used to, we used to do a flight, uh, and we, uh, we'd end up in, uh, Tahiti. So we'd go, uh, Santiago, Easter Island, and then on to Tahiti. And it was the one flight and you were out there, uh, for a week and the airplane wasn't coming back in a week. So you, you had, you know, the, the, the flexibility time. to go and do anything you wanted, uh, mm-hmm. in, in that period of time. And then, you know, obviously go through the, uh, the recovery process because uh, there was uh, you needed to get back to flying condition, um, but you knew you had the time to do it. So um, I, I used to do that all the time. Nick, so I mean, I don't I don't blame you. I mean, if you have the time, absolutely do it. If you got the time, we've got the beer. Yeah, yeah. Miller beer. Miller, yeah. Okay. Well, there's a, another article about um, a day in the life of an Emirates flight attendant. If you want to check that out, we'll put that in the show notes. And then he also sent in this uh, other piece of feedback. How to crew, not sure if I sent this your way and had a few minutes to write up the attach. So here y'all go. And this was uh, from medium.com and it was written and authored, which is the same thing really when you think about it. Uh, <laughs> Robert from uh, Mayretta, south of the big chicken. And uh, so the title, who, what is linear air taxi? A curious result came up recently. Uh, He was researching flights recently. Linear Air, a regional flight from Atlanta, Georgia to Greensboro, North Carolina, is served nonstop by smaller affiliated carriers of Delta Airlines or like Republic Airways. These round-trip fares can be found as low as $133 round-trip, depending on when you travel and how far in advance you book. And so he has a little screenshot of, you know, a search for Atlanta to Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, this flight's operated by Republic Airways for Delta. And then he said, but curiously, um, there was an option showing for linear air. So I did some digging to find that this is not actually a scheduled flight, but as the representative told me, quote, an example of what linear can fly, starting at $6,828 for the whole plane. Also note that the flight is operated from the corporate flights facility at the Atlanta airport, not a typical typical gate one would fly out of after checking a bag and clearing security. Yeah, that would be a little bit more complicated, I guess, if you flew like mainline airline kind of thing into Atlanta International and then you had to figure out a way to get over to the mm-hmm. corporate flight facility and first you got to go get your bag and everything else. Uh, but the uh, let me see share my screen here so you can see some of the airplanes that um, this company uses for these types of flights. And uh, at first I was telling stuff, uh, we were talking about this. Yeah, we did talk about this. That um, it, it kind of felt like that um, 
that whole issue that the FAA has said, no, 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 you can't do, you know, like flight sharing kind of thing. But this is completely different. This is actually commercial um, air taxi operation mm-hmm. and uh, with commercial pilots and that kind of thing. And uh, so that $6,828. low price of $8,799, you can fly in a Cirrus from... Yeah, Atlanta because that's Greensboro. the hourly rate on the darn thing, right? Stuff, or it seems that way. I don't know what I don't know what the rate is for that. Well, up to three travelers, so you can split that with you. No, I mean, I mean if you went out and, and and rented a, a Cirrus, it's like five hundred bucks an hour or something, isn't it, for you to rent it? It would not cost me eight thousand seven hundred ninety nine dollars to fly round trip between that. Greensboro and Atlanta if I wanted to. Yeah, do that. well, you know, Cirrus got to make some money. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be more expensive than in a, you know, one seventy two or something, but hmm. um. So Robert just surprised at the costs here. That's all. Yeah, very well, high. They, they quote a one seventy two as being the, uh, one of their air taxi models. So mm-hmm. It's not exactly salubrious. No. Uh, Robert <laughs> says, "Is this deceiving? Maybe. It was at least interesting to me because it was the first time I'd ever seen pure charter flights listed in a reservation system like this that actually were not scheduled flights." And then there's a thing on here about uh, i think this uh, was clipped from the linear air site um, is air travel or air taxi travel safe and what are your pilot aircraft and safety standards it goes into all that on this and then it has another little section on here the air taxi uh, the, at the low end uh, could be a piper cherokee cessna 172 or a mooney m20 and then you get up to the premium air taxi the cirrus sr22 and then mid-size piper cherokee 6 Cessna 206, a Beechcraft Baron, a large air taxi, Piper Navajo, Cessna 402, Piper Chieftain, Beechcraft Queen Air. Now, they haven't made a Queen Air in, do they still, they don't make Queen Airs anymore, do they? They stopped doing that a long time ago. I don't think yeah. so, anyway, but I'm not 100% certain. Anyway. Executive air taxi, uh, Pilatus, Cessna Caravan. Uh, hey, Stefna's, she's all checked out on that. Beechcraft mm-hmm. King Air. And then a personal jet, Eclipse, Embraer, Phenom, Phenom, a Citation Mustang, light jet, Citation CJ, Phenom 300, a midsize jet, a Hawker 800, Citation XL, Falcon 50, Learjet 60, and then the big boys, the Gulfstream 5, Challenger 604, Falcon 2000s. So, yeah, interesting that I don't know how they ended up getting their, their, their flights listed on the... Um, on the uh, reservation system, though that's that's kind of interesting. I don't know, but for the price of the uh, Cirrus, you, you know, I wonder if they charge you what the cost of the G five would be. You know, the actual airplane. You know, go out, and, you know, go and buy your own. Yeah, that would be awfully expensive, right? Yeah. Good <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's. I thought that was interesting. Thank you, Robert, for uh, authoring the article. Interesting concept. Sydney. I'm not so sure about their price point. Either. Yeah marketing to yeah it looks a trifle pricey to me mm-hmm. a trifle yes all right very good and we can move on to the second item in the feedback uh ricardo says dear captain jeff and crew this is ricardo pina or pina right mm-hmm. uh i should ask rick is that the way you'd pronounce that yeah that's that's okay. Right on, actually. Your interpreter, yeah. translator friend, and oh, yeah, that's right. He, it's a long time no hear from you, Ricardo. Long time listener in Mexico. It's been a while since I've sent feedback. Sorry about that. But rest assured that my APG syndrome is alive and kicking. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, Sounds painful. Hope, 
this message finds you all well. I was very glad to hear you. Is, have, is that a new symptom kicking? Um, it could be. Uh, was that part of stage four? I'm I don't sure. know. It, it, yeah, we'll have to consult the manual on that one. Okay. <laughs> the textbooks. Um, yeah. We'll have to consult our new doctor of um, go around a cylinder. Oh, yeah. APG yeah. syndrome. Yes. yes. Um, let's see. Um, I was very glad to hear that you have successfully recovered from your bout with COVID 19, this one scary bug. In recent episodes, you've talked about radio controlled aircraft like the glider that recently set a speed record. Uh, radio controlled modeling just keeps getting better and better. I wish I had the means to pursue it as a hobby, but alas, at the higher and more desirable levels, it's a rich person's hobby well beyond my reach. Nevertheless, I find it really exciting when I come across models like the ones featured in the following videos. Oh, family show. Oh, no, uh, aircraft models. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling you and the crew will agree they are beyond amazing. The first one is an L-1011. I share your love for this wonderful jetliner, and I found this particular model just incredible. And then there's a, he sent us a link to a YouTube video. And this one, I don't know if you guys have got a chance to watch this one or not, but it's amazing the level of detail on... Uh, let me see what happens if I hit this and play it. Oh, it does play. Neat. Can you hear the volume on this too? No. No? Okay. Um, it's just like explosion noises. <laughs> so I'm going to turn oh. it off. Um, anyway, so look, he's got a little uh, tug. What happened? It start, it start playing. Beg your pardon? Well, excuse me. Uh, a um, what would you call that? A towing vehicle, tractor. Um, and look yep. at how look at how big this uh, ten eleven is. It's a well, it's a pretty fancy one. It's a tow barless one. Yeah, it's the, like the the ones that pick up the nose wheel, like the modern. Yeah, the super tugs. Yeah, super tug. There we go. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's coming up to the L ten eleven nose gear and snatches that nose gear up into its place where the nose gear gets put <laughs> very, very technical, that was, very technical well, stuff. That was i was afraid that if i used any other terms that uh, they could have some innuendo and you know i wouldn't hear the end of it so anyway look at that beautiful picture there doesn't that look like a real airplane there with the sun setting really behind does. oh absolutely yeah, that's yeah. amazing yeah. and then the thing goes and flies it's just amazing it's incredible so um, we'll put a link into that. He said, I love helicopters too, despite the widespread opinion that they do not actually fly, but simply beat the air into submission. I really... Nah, <laughs> they're so ugly. Earth repels, <laughs> repels them. <laughs> okay. I really like this amazing Llama RC model. And it's the world's biggest RC turbine, turbine scale yeah, it's, model. it's vast. I mean, if you're going to build a model that big, why don't you just build a real helicopter? I mean, you could put my dogs could fit into it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Wow, there's an idea. Did you notice that uh, uh, as it flies, the um, dummy pilot in there, uh, the controls actually move, so it looks like he's actually flying it. So, Nick, mm -hmm. just because he's a helicopter pilot is no reason to denigrate him by calling him a dummy pilot. <laughs> Sorry. That's... Well, I usually reserve that for balloon pilots. But, <laughs> no. uh, I think I can extend it into helicopters without any concern you know, I, at all. I did not watch this helicopter uh, one, so I didn't see the dummy pilot moving. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, as as he flies around, his his arms and feet and things all the see if we can find. the collective and the cyclic. So oh, wow. uh, all very impressive. Well, let's see if we can find that part of the. Um, okay, I don't know. Do you know where you remember where it was in the? Uh, in the middle. In the middle. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know. It's, it's a close up of the cockpit. So, okay. Uh, well, hey, 
We have a link there in the show notes for you all to check it out. So just look for it somewhere between the beginning and the end. Wow. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Well done. Okay. And uh, finally, I suspect these other models will be a bit more in the old pilot's wheelhouse. These guys at the ASC Rusjet Air Modeling Sport Club have won, or Rusjet, uh, have won several well-deserved world championships with their creations. I suspect it's Rusjet because they're Russian. Russian? Ah, okay, Rusjet. The level of accuracy. quite fast anyway. And detail left me speechless. Simply stunning. And, oh, look at well, that. Well, it's the first time I'd seen uh, a video of uh, radio control models actually in a formation team. Uh, you know, putting smoke out the whole nine yards. Mm. And, oh. uh, I mean, they're not like uh, wingtip to wingtip, but they're still pretty impressive. So like the Thunderbirds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Smaller. <laughs> All right. Tweet just kidding. That's, that's Rick at Airline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Rick. Or just, you know what, folks? Don't don't waste your time. Just don't send anything. Okay. We understand. <laughs> We're offensive. We understand. Um. Anyway, Ricardo says, "I hope you enjoy these as much as I did. It's a privilege to be part of the APG community, and I promise to keep more in touch in the future. Clear skies and visibility. Cheers. Health unlimited. From Ricardo Pina." Thank you. Well, good to hear from you, man. Um, I'm glad you're still listening and part of our community. Um, yeah, and if you all want to check out those videos in the show notes. Um, all right. So here I'll stop sharing. There we go. So Peter writes in. You'll remember um, Papa Tango from yes. the last episode or the couple of episodes ago was lovely hearing you all this morning as I drove to meet friends for Sunday morning breakfast. I chuckled a bit as you just, Oh, I chuckled a bit, (laughs) not a lot. You wanted to let us know that he was not chuckling a lot. Yeah. A bit as you discussed the real names of my children, Dr. Steph guessed Sean correctly, but my daughter's name, Amelia was missed. What do we, we say, Anne or something yeah. like that? Or I don't, yeah, I don't recall. Some, something like that, yeah. I'm sure you would have gotten it without too much trouble, given more time. Yeah, you darn right Absolutely. we would. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started listening to OB, OB, we like to call it, that's opposing bases, I acquired the moniker of Papa Tango, kind of like the sound of it. For purposes of APG, I will go by Peter Tango, unless you all... Want to take guesses at my last name, and then Liz told us. I think we should take guesses. Oh, you okay? Uh, I'm going to guess Peter um, Peter uh, Uh, Thomas Tarantula. Tarantula. Ooh. Tarantula. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto. 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 Uh, Tarantino. Tarantino. Yeah, I'll go with I'll go with Nick. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. Liz says Peter Tarano. Let's see. Yeah. See what you're doing there. Peter Lemoncelli. Oh, no, it has to be with a T. Um. <laughs> well, give us some time, Peter. We're going to figure it out. He doesn't remember the alphabet anymore. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Peter Tango says, looking forward to the next episode. So I guess, are we going to let this slide uh, kind of being like half and half, half? Well, I guess, I guess no. we can make a concession. On, yeah, I'm okay with that. I, I don't think so. No? no? Oh. No. Well, no, Nick's he's just going to be ass. Peter Tarantula. and it's it's done settled there it goes there there it is thank you uh peter actually you 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 didn't have we had a drink in the uk called tango 
Mm-hmm. And they had a series of adverts where some bloke dressed up like a big orange would come along and slap people around the face saying, you've been tangoed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sounds kind of violent. And, and as soon as I saw Peter Tango, that's all I could think of. So, <laughs> so Peter, watch out. If you uh, meet us in person, we're going to slap UK, you about especially. the face and yell tango. Yeah, and say, you've been tangoed. You've been tangoed, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lane, we shall not be discussing the 7110. It's not going to happen. The, the what? What are we not discussing? Uh, <laughs> okay. It's like the Kool Aid man hitting you in the face. Oh, yeah. Like Knock that side of the face. Just come crashing through the wall first. <laughs> Get the crap kicked out of you. <laughs> All right, I'm leaving now. Oh, you know, man, the APG community, it's lots a, of great people, but it's a tough crowd. It's a tough place to yeah, hang yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. rough. It's All right. Got to be able to stand up for yourself. What'd you say? I was going to say you have to be able to stand up for yourself yes, around you here. Mm-hmm. You must. Mm-hmm. Exploring an abandoned abandoned British Airways flight training facility. Hello, APG crew. Thanks for the great podcast. Keep keeping me happy in these COVID times. I stumbled onto this YouTube video with a couple of blokes exploring an abandoned British Airways flight training facility. And he gives us a link and it, it, it really, um, it's kind of scary looking. So I mean, it's kind of sad and creepy, sad, like yeah. these abandoned yeah. like facilities. It, it could easily various. be part of Chernobyl, couldn't it? Mm. it yeah. That's yeah. how deserted it looked. Actually, one of like my favorite stand still yeah. like, photos that I have, so nothing to do with aviation, but similar theme here is um, just a print of an indoor swimming pool that's been abandoned. Mm-hmm. And just the lighting is very interesting and it's, yeah, but same, same kind of vibe going yeah. on, kind of creepy mm. and sad. So Crane time. Bank, this place mm-hmm. used to be the, the heart of um, British Airways training. I mean, it really was and goes back a long time, I think back to BOAC days. Um, so they did, you know, huge generations of pilots and cabin crew went through Crane Bank and did all their training there. Uh, and now, of course, this video just shows it as um, it's like something out of Tomb Raiders. You know, uh, it's just appalling. Um, I can't say I'm too keen with these two blokes because, uh, you know, they're effectively trespassing on the site. I don't think they've got permission to go on there. They've had to wade through a damn river to get there. And they're, they're not exactly breaking in, but they're certainly going somewhere where... Uh, you know, uh, they're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I can't altogether uh, agree with them being there, but uh, it is fascinating to see them walking around. Uh, they've got all the rigs there that the captain crew would have done all their training on. They've even got a simulator there. All the classrooms uh, well, they, in those days before computer-based training, mm-hmm. <laughs> the people actually used to sit down and be taught by an instructor. You know, it's a big facility, but uh, they've just, the, the roof's all leaking, the place is half flooded, and there's, uh, you know, moss and green stuff growing everywhere. Mm. It's, uh, it's yeah, just a shame want, to see that. I don't want to spend they, a lot of time in there, all the mold and stuff. No, no, it's, yeah, all yeah. the floor's giving way, and half it's been ripped up. Uh, yeah, it, it was interesting to see that it, uh, they've allowed it to get like this. It can't be, uh, can't be good for their, Profile, really? Nope. nope. Is that a Hooters menu? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I just happened to end the video on a, Ho- a Hooters menu. 
You don't have a lot of those in uh, the UK, do you? No. Hooters restaurants? Interesting. None. Must have been from a layover. Um, I guess so. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have a link to it uh, in the show notes if you want to check it out and be creeped out by looking at it all. Um, Magnus says, question, why, did they, why didn't they sell the 737-400 simulator? Is it more money in stripping the parts out? I don't know. Good question. No idea. They're, they're not cheap. Um, no. So you'd have thought that there'd be a lot of value for it. Yeah. Or at yeah. least some value. I mean, it looks no. like a lot of the stuff in there um, looks like it could be a, of some value and it's just sitting there, just going to waste, you know? Sad. All right. Uh, we didn't, I, you know, um, Jan, I didn't see any stair trucks uh, hiding in there. So, uh, <laughs> but you'll have to watch the whole thing. Maybe there are some. Okay, um, Marius um, sends some feedback about Virgin Atlantic and himself. Uh, he said, Virgin Atlantic opening a new cargo-only route to Norway and a bit about myself. Greetings, APG crew. Long-time listener here. Well, for the last three years at least, but first time submitting a feedback. I came across this article written by Virgin Atlantic about their first flight on a new cargo-only route to uh, Evans, Evans. How do you pronounce that? Do you know Nick? E v e n e s. Evans. Uh, no, I'm not Norway. Norwegian. I'm afraid. So no, I, I knew that. Know. Well, your last name's Anderson. <laughs> Why don't you know how to pronounce that? <laughs> My last name's Nielsen. Point. I should probably uh, know too. I was just going to say. I was like, <laughs> yeah, come on, yeah, Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> Nielsen. But Anderson, Anderson I think that's more of a Nor- Norwegian name, right? So, Swedish, actually. Oh shoot. Okay. Um, Different country. Can't help uh, you. Yeah, okay. Um, operated by the Boeing 787-9 and flying fresh fish out of there. Maybe Nick is familiar with the airport, as I believe he has been to Norway in his RAF career. Yeah, I only went to decent airports like uh, Garden Gnome. <laughs> God, Garden Gnome. I, I can't even say probably Gardermoen in Oslo. A Garden Gnome? like called it Garden Gnome. Like the little guy. Like the little guy in the, um, what's the yeah, uh, yeah. commercial? Well, we're Tri- Air Force guys, so we, yeah. we found it hard pronouncing it properly, so we call it Garden Gnome. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, here we go. Um, uh, okay, Avenus? Steph, go ahead. That doesn't help me Avenus? at all. <laughs> it didn't help at all. What do you say when it's an A and E together? It depends on how you pronounce uh, your a- vowels a- there. Avenus? Avenus. Avenus. Avenus? Avenus? Sure. Avenus. That Nailed didn't it. help us, but like Nailed it. 11. But thanks for the effort. <laughs> yeah. It's in uh, North Norway. Okay. I've been to Bardafoss once, landed there, and while, while we went in there, it's That's way up there. That's another good reason for not going yeah, there. Very, very cold and way up north. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, and, and pretty much just covered in snow and ice. Um, okay. So he gives us a link to the article um, from the Virgin Atlantic blog <laughs> and uh, living flying fresh fish from the fjords. Since this yeah, is, I, I was a little confused by this. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, it's not like Virgin have got any cargo aircraft or, you know, dedicated cargo, cargo aircraft, but they're, they're effectively flying an empty passenger jet up there to pick up a bunch of fish. I need to be on the flight after I mean, that flight. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, oh. admittedly, Boeing's don't have the nicest smell anyway. So, you know, oh, nice. Oh, why are you joking? Are you joking? <laughs> joking. 
<laughs> so he wouldn't have made a lot I of difference. Offended. That's why they probably put the seven eight on it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, and we do. Uh, I must admit, on my regular flights into the states, we were always carrying um, salmon, in particular, um, often Scottish salmon. But you know, cargo is full of salmon out to the states. I mean, don't you? You guys don't have the same breed of salmon that we do, do you? We just like you salmon. have sockeye. No, other strange salmon. I don't know. No, yeah. yeah, well, and, and and they put they put it in a seventy because you know that's kind of you know temperature sensitive cargo, and you want to make sure that it gets there the first try. You know, just uh, you don't want to you know the airplane breaking down uh, on on its way you know, back down to wherever it has to go. So I uh, just no, that, that would shot, be a so. disaster. Yes, Nigel does so explain time. how they do this operation without having that horrible smell throughout the airplane. They they leave the uh, they open the door for fresh air. Leave it up. Oh, yes, right. mm, just like our news article. That's, yeah. that's what DHL <laughs> that's would what do. That's what they were, they were exactly. experimenting with it. <laughs> yeah, they were just saying, New design. I've got some fish on, let's open the doors. Flying fresh yeah. fish from the fantastic fjords. Yes. No, I, I used to I used to fly I used to fly uh, salmon up from uh, from uh, Chile up to uh, Miami all the time. The entire, entire I mean, the entire 747. Yeah. Uh, was about 120 Whoa. tons worth of uh, salmon, and uh, no, no, no issue at all. I mean, it's, it's all, uh, it's all in. Um, I don't know if they, if it's fresh, but I don't know how they, they 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 keep it cold somehow. It's for mm-hmm. I don't know how not they do it, but it's no, no no smell at all, no smell at all. Um, can't say the same for uh, flying uh, uh, pigs or horses around, but uh, salmon, no problem. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, those, I don't envy you that. Jeez. Although even in the passenger world, we occasionally fly those. <laughs> Mainly pigs, not many horses. That would be Nick. At okay. <laughs> you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to resume the uh, the feedback here. Please. Uh, since, <laughs> and I apologize. We apologize, Mario, for completely butchering your really, really nicely constructed feedback. With this talk of... It's his first feedback, too. I know, last. (laughs) (laughs) Since this this is my... You haven't introduced him. He's got a whole... I'm about about to do that right now. Here we go. Oh, are you? Yeah. Since this is my first feedback and probably my last, I might as well start off by introducing myself. I was bitten by the aviation bug at at a young age after my mom refused me to go to a maritime school, so flying became the alternative. Although she might agree, it became a bit more expensive. I received my private while still in high school. And after military service and a couple of years working, I traveled to Florida for the rest of my ratings and then back to Norway to convert my license. After quite a few years of waiting, I started working for a regional airline in Norway flying the mighty Dash 8 100-200-300 series. We can call the airline Acme Green, although the real name is revealed at the end of this feedback. I must also thank you all for getting me this job because after listening to my first episode of APG in January 2018, I received an email from the airline inviting me to uh, pre-employment tests and later an interview. I was successful and have been working for them since September 2018. Uh, Since a great part of the flying we do is into more remote parts of Norway subsidized by the government. We haven't been hit as hard by this nasty little bug as others. A little fun fact. During a short time last year, we were the largest passenger airline in Europe based on movements. Uh, no flying personnel have lost their job, but some of us are partly furloughed. 
I'm only working 50%, but I guess I'm lucky to still have a job as many friends and colleagues and other airlines haven't been as lucky. As for the job itself, I think it might be one of the best paid flying jobs around. The Dash 8 is a fun little airplane to fly, and being in Norway, we have some nice scenery to fly around in. It can be challenging at times with short runways, down to 800 meters. That's, that's short. Uh, terrain at some airports both, creating some nice turbulence with the right wind conditions and requiring non-standardized approaches and departures, and some interesting weather at times. The winter months are the most challenging with the weather that comes with it, and also the fact it is dark most of the day. But in the summer... It is almost a totally different job. We have, at times, daylight 24-7, and it can be days between each time we have to fly an instrument approach if the weather's okay. And with the shorter routes we fly, the shortest having a flight time of about eight minutes. Ooh, it's nice to hand fly the whole flight. Back to the article. Um, Avenez is not a remote outpost up north, as you might get the impression of after reading the article. It got it has a nice long runway, and the ground staff is used to handling larger jets. Flying in and out of the airport is not too challenging, most of the time at least. It even has a an ILS coming in from the north. But I do understand that some preparations might be needed, as it is a new destination for Virgin. The biggest issue we have there is with strong winds from the west-southwest, as that can create some nasty turbulence for the approach and landing. I want to end this feedback with a video made by one of our first officers. Uh, it, he said it might be considered an advertisement, so I hope you will allow it. Yeah, I think so. We're going we're gonna to give it a go. Uh, it's posted on Facebook, so please let me know if you have any problems viewing it. And then it gives us the link, and I'm going to play that for us uh, here in a minute. Um, it's about five minutes long, so I do understand if you don't have time to show it live. But if you leave the link in the show notes, I do hope you guys and maybe some of your listeners will appreciate it. The video was created last year and gives a small glimpse into the type of flying we do. And if I might add, it is really well made. And finally, if the situation allows, and I'm lucky enough to be selected in the draw, I do hope to attend the Chicago Marathon this year. If you, Steph, are planning to participate, let us know if you will do some kind of an APG meetup there. Best regards, you all, and let us hope things will improve shortly. And then again, that's Marius. Marius. Yeah, I am planning to attend the Chicago Marathon this year, so let's cool. make it happen. Although my time in Chicago might be short depending on other factors, but we can make it work out for sure. Nice. Well, I'm sure you'll hear about it on our show if that does indeed happen. Mm -hmm. if, if, yep, if we're allowed to do it. Yes. Okay, so... I'm going to go ahead and uh, share this video, see how this works. How do you pronounce that stuff? Widero? 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 The chat room says Widero. Widero? Okay. Very nice. I'll go with what the chat room says. All right. Oh, 
Uh, yeah, that uh, little airplane moves damn quick at times, doesn't it? Did you see it yeah. get one? Yeah, it, took it really does. Three seconds. I was just so impressed. It has like a little, you know, gun button, as my wife used to call it in one of the cars. You hit the little <laughs> thing. Yeah. It's a gun button. <laughs> it gives a little extra power. <laughs> How do I get rid of the darn uh, video that's playing here? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I don't see any controls. Um, the host has mu unmuted your video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Help. I don't understand how to do this. It says share. I'm, I don't want to share the screen anymore. Oh no. Okay. Why don't I do this? Yeah. There, there we go. go. That works. Yeah. I'm just not sure there exactly what happened with the video, but it, we don't see it now. So that's good. Um, Turn your clean feed down there, Jeff, I think. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm sending Liz two versions in quick succession, succession of myself. And, you know, really only one is as much as she can handle. <laughs> Sorry, Liz. Yeah. Okay. So obviously that is um, something that uh, will be better appreciated for those watching the video. And uh, those are listening to the audio only. We'll have that link in the show notes so you can watch it as well. Um, I believe uh, Neil was saying, this is a great video. I hope they did it in 4k might watch it later. They probably did. It's a very well done. And by the way, um, you're probably hearing it in mono sound, not uh, stereo. So I think that it'll be a better experience if you watch it again. Mm. So I tell you, I mean, there's there's nothing like seeing the northern lights in flight. Oh, yeah. That's just gorgeous. Unbelievable. It's just, oh, man. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So check it out. Um, thanks again, Marius, uh, for introducing yourself uh, to the community and great to have, uh, we, we have several listeners up there in Norway, at least two or three. And um, no, I think we have more than that, actually. Um, and we're, we're uh, really, uh, it was a pleasure meeting you. And we hope to get more feedback from you in the future. And looks like our control room is telling me that it's now time for this week's installment of Plain Tales. So... Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and hit this button here, and let's listen to Flying the Red Flag, Part 3. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales, Flying the Red Flag, Part 3. A continuation of the story of Exercise Red Flag. If you want to get the best out of this podcast, it's probably ideal to go back and listen to Parts 1 and 2 first. A success was to see nobody, but the trouble is that was boring. So over land is where, frankly, the Rios, the backseaters, um, made their money because you had to, to work some of the challenges over land. Uh, looked down, it did pretty well, but you still had to, you know, a good Rio could make it work better. I suppose being a two-crew aircraft, as you'd appreciate, it sort of makes things a lot easier. So we would do, like I said, fighter sweeps ahead as a as a two or four ship. We did actually a little bit of reconnaissance work as well. That was something unique to the Tomcat. We had a, a pod with three cameras on board. We didn't go in with armed fighter escort, you know, blokes on your wings trying to shoot down for you. It, it, it was, there were guys out there, but they were typical American air superiority, go in and sweep. 
yeah, shoot shoot everybody down before the the bombers get there, sort of thing. That was it. That was a good task. Yeah. And they would have been told that your quite simply your job is to defend a ground package that's coming through uh, this area at this time, uh, and this these are your likely threats, just like it would be in war. That was the biggest thing when the when the plan, when the plan went to hell, how to modify the plan and then go from there. And but to give the Americans their due. That's right up their street. The the big package stuff was where they were very strong. Oh seven, it was the first red flag with F twenty two, and they managed to replicate an eight ship wall of F 15s with two F twenty twos. It was it was blowing our mind at the time. A successful mission might be to complete your task without actually setting eyes on the enemy. But that was unlikely to happen. And you'd have F-111s, there'd be all sorts, and then you'd have your escort ahead of you of, say, F-15s or 16s. Then you'd hear the AWACS coming on, reporting from over the Tonopah bar side of the world. Red Air would have um, come, you know, they're coming from the west, and you'd start hearing stuff. Then there would be a um, general broadcast of fighter activity, four bogeys, uh, 10 miles southwest of Timbuktu or whatever. And sometimes we refer to them as clue wax. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did that mean? <laughs> they didn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Joking, of course. AWACS, the E3 Sentry Airborne Warning and Control System. I, I remember the... There, I was a bit of a bad lad, I remember now. I remember that there was a cat floating around. This is a war story. There was a cat floating around over some hills as we were going to it. And I could hear on the radio. I think we probably had to be on a common frequency for our safety's sake. And I can't remember if it's Canadians or who it was. But or it must have, I think it was Canadians. So it, would have, it wasn't 104s. Anyway, and uh, these boys were talking to each other. And I thought, fuck this, uh, we're getting closer now. So I said, hey, Chuck, break, right, break, right. There's one in right near six o'clock. And these two guys have got this guy suddenly peeled off. Oh, that worked well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you got some turning and burning. Yeah, sometimes you get into it. And, you know, if uh, depending on, you know, who was out there. But, yeah, there was definitely some turning and burning that goes on. Was a load of F-15s got caught up in our package, and one went straight in front of me at very low level. But of course, it's all over so qu- quick. By the time Gash has done all this with his fingers, the, the Fox Two was long gone. <laughs> <laughs> but if you kept, you know, I guess other. I mean, I just did it by the rules. But the time you made all your switches live, for me it was too late. But I guess you should in war. You'd have just left everything ready to go. You know, all your late arm switches and all this sort of rubbish. A Fox 2, a heat-seeking missile. Not really turning and burning. I remember surprising some F-15s, chasing them down, shooting them, um, but never, you know, 1v1, getting slow, that kind of thing. There weren't too many people that actually wanted to get down that low and tangle. Yeah. The aggressors coming down, and they, those boys knew what they were doing. And generally, to be honest, we got left alone because they couldn't come anywhere near us in terms of height was uh, the aggressor coming down on me and my mate. So we would have gone black duck sort of thing. 
and I'm going along at 100 feet over the desert. I'm going along and there's my shadow on the desert. And when I'm told to duck, I go down to get closer to my shadow. The shadow... <laughs> <laughs> the shadow and the aeroplane get closer and closer. And at that point, he just broke away. He said, yeah, that, that was far too hard for me. I'm not going down there. Chasing down an F-15 once. Didn't know we were there yet. Uh, we definitely got supersonic chasing him down. I think we went for a gun solution. I'm not sure how that worked out, but that, that'll be my story. Especially if you're near the tail end of a strike train, you, you get picked off every now and then, or at least engaged. For the strike package, their task was to find and obliterate their ground targets. Because they had SAM sites in the desert, they had convoys, they had airfields with the little taxiways dug into the side of the mountains like North Korea. Looking here, it just says a thousand pound free fall live, JP-233, which obviously wasn't live, obviously it was an airfield that we were attacking and then thousand pound of retard live, thousand pound of retard live, thousand pound of free fall live. So that was the best bit that you were chucking off live bombs, bridges, tanks, decoys, things like that. Seeing a live thousand pounder go off in the sandy desert, done off, make a big mushroom. And a phantom went in, and we all got presented. I got one at home. They uh, IR picture, so you can see these hot spots where the bombs went. You know, so you could you could see the target because it was the only thing there, but you still had to get to the target on time sort of thing. But I remember leading the first ever um, HE strafe that had ever been done in a tornado. You don't want to hang around the target area too long. And uh, if things got screwed up, get the, get the heck out of there. The aeroplane dumped all the kit, the weaponry kit. <laughs> so when, so everything just disappeared from the HUD. So it's like, well, that's fair enough. We'll come off dry and you brief at what's called a gate time. So you, you do a great big oval and you, you come in 30 seconds behind number eight. So that's what I did. So I go all the way around. My wingman, a guy called Wilbur Wilson, he sat there following me around, sticks with his leader, so to speak. I tell everyone what I'm doing. My formation are now pissing off home. <laughs> I'm going round. And I come down the dive, everything's ready. We've even got a standby site up. And just as I'm about to open up, the tornado goes over the target. And I nearly <laughs> shot him out of the bloody sky. <laughs> and I'm thinking, damned if I'm not getting rid of these bloody bullets. So I go around a third time and then pick up home. If you, if you did your mission, get out of there. If you, if you didn't and you screwed up, I mean, suddenly you're going back when you don't really want to go back into that where, where the red air is hanging out. But you've got to help, got to help out the guys that are dropping the bombs. Subsequently, in the debrief, Gasher gets asked what he was up to. And then you go into this massive auditorium because all the jets are carrying the pods like ACMI. So yep. everything's linked. Like, so <laughs> we sat there with, and, the de- and the sort of mission plays and you can see all these jets, little shapes going across the desert and then doing stuff and coming home again. And some bloke says, hey, could you just stop it there, sir? And he says... What are those tornadoes doing circles? <laughs> and I'm like, put my hand up. I have to explain myself. But yeah, it, it looked really funny that they all went home and I'm still going round and round. <laughs> and so I'm starting my left hand descending attack on this F4. And all of a sudden, my windscreen was filled with F4. And I am convinced that his tail went between my two. 
Wow. <laughs> I was rolling in on the guy down low. This guy was in a pitch, a pop in the other direction. And I remember it was the Fort Wayne, Indiana guard. The tail flash at the top was a red, white, and blue stripe. Quarter of a second, a couple feet, half a G from not, not talking to you today. It was, it was unbelievably close. One of the great features of Red Flag was the ability to simulate ground-to-air threats. They, they had their equipment, their transmitters sitting on the ground, and their operators were trained to do it how the Soviets would do it. It was enough for us to know there's something dangerous over there, we've got to step around it. They had uh, ZSU-23-4 type things. Yeah. Um, so they would give you, instead of Pulse India, they give you Pulse Juliet. We used to have to listen to the pulse repetition frequency of the fucking radar to work out whether it was AAA or whether it, uh, whether it was the SAM-8, who, who were both Pulse Juliet. <laughs> so the ZSU-23-4 required you to do a AAA jink, and the SAM-8 required you to fly lower than 50 feet um, as, as soon as possible. And they were both Pulse Juliet. And if you got... The, so you ha- actually had to listen to the... You know, the threat simulators that they had out there. I mean, to see yourself on video where uh, they're out there launching smoky Sams at you and things like that. They left one bodacious smoke trail coming out the back end, so you knew you were fired at. <laughs> They'd stick us down in the weeds, not surprisingly, given the design and the capabilities of the aircraft and the level of ground threat simulation was more impressive than their um, aerial threat simulation in that they had actual, you know, hardware on the ground. We had EW fit. We definitely had okay. chaff uh, and ECM pods. So people would be chaff. You could chaff and flare, and you have this boz pod that would be jamming. So, of course, you flare. But if you flare at 100 feet, the flare's still burning when it hits the ground. And you're flying over civilian man sites with just local people who are just taught, taught how to operate a ZSU or something. And they're getting flares bouncing underneath their cars. <laughs> <laughs> The next person who flares below 300 feet isn't flying again. Me and Brian, because I know what his fingers are like, I just said, we will not flare. I would rather die (laughs) on exercise because it doesn't matter. It's not real. But I'd come in and do two weeks of flying, not sit on the ground, you know. So we never flared. And the next day, a guy called Paul and Jerry Cass, um, that was the end of their red flag. Would you get reprimanded? flying supersonic over a manned essay and physical damage to the people inside it, but it actually bent the mechanism and the radar wouldn't spin anymore. So, um, yeah, it, was, it, was, uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a great day. You know, Dash 4, just, just trying to hold on on this supersonic egress. He got singled out by the mission commander and it was like, what's your speed at this point? Mark 1.6. And he's, like, and he's just like... <laughs> And the GR4 guys, the, the RAF guys that were there, sort of looked back over their shoulders and went, yeah, good on you. That's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> <What> a- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the egress from the target was often the chance for pilots to show the true capabilities of their aircraft. We could outrun anything at, at that speed. Yeah, you just put the wings back and go. The F-111 guys, and we just said, okay, so you hit the target. What do you want for escort uh, getting off the target? They'd say, stay out of our way. And you you look on the desert floor and you would just see a dust cloud moving along and those guys are regressing out of their supersonic. So we worked as four ships, but there were three of them. And it meant that 
the front four ship couldn't turn around and go back the way they'd just come from, for example. Otherwise, you meet eight of your mates coming the other way. So there were certain there were certain things in a twelve ship that you you couldn't do that you could do in a four ship. And then we'd be racing home at hundred feet, you know, five six hundred mile an hour. They'd try and catch you up. <laughs> sort of hanging in there down the back of the formation at 100 feet, checking off live bombs. I was as happy as Larry. <laughs> and it was good fun. And on the way home, it was really just as fast as you like. And we, I mean, you'd have F-111s coming past you. God knows what speed they were doing. <laughs> um, it's an interesting aircraft. It's such a high wing loading. It, it feels like it's on rails almost. So to have a sense of speed, you don't quite get it the same as you would in another aircraft where it starts to sort of rattle around a bit and the, and the and you can hear the hear the noise through the canopy and the rest of it. You just don't you just don't get any of that. And I guess keeping in mind this thing was designed to do Mark two point five when it's only sitting at one point five. It's it's barely sort of heating up at that point. So it's something that they wouldn't have seen in the states for twenty years at this point. And um, the feedback we'd get, you know, at the bar on a Friday night, especially from some of the aggressors, just like we just see you guys go and not even bother chasing. Afterwards, the debrief would be the moment of truth. We'd sacrifice one, usually our outboard wing station, for yeah, an instrumentation pod. But the benefits of that were immeasurable. You'd watch a, a full second-by-second second replay of every single aircraft in the area um, during the debrief, and the SA was just enormous. Well, for Red Flag, they gave us colour film. Who's using 16 millimeter, man? We got video. <laughs> we got digital. <laughs> to be honest, the, the learning opportunities were just ridiculous because you you, re- you literally got that God's eye view. Whoever led our ship would have done a hot debrief to get some. Uh, who who reckons they got shot down? Well, okay, some of you put your hands down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought we had. I thought we had a a pretty good success rate and especially getting with the guys to the target i think we did pretty darn good at that you go in for a, a big debrief and they the the package leader would pick out some highlights by then uh, there'd be color film of this jaguar going along you know that sort of thing and here we have the bogey coming up here sir and so i kind you know and that sort of thing on the big screen the Phoenix was a hard missile to do shot validation, especially using the, the tax ranges. We would use it, but we wouldn't get any valid kills using it. Um, they wouldn't you know, eliminate people from the fight because of it. So we would be able to debrief amongst the crew that, yeah, that was a valid shot. It would have been a kill, but for the purposes of this training, press time with the fight, that's kind of how we ran it. The debrief, the instrumentation, the amount of insight you could gain was phenomenal wasn't a matter of finding enough lessons to learn. It was like, well, let's just pick three important ones out of the thousands that we could sort of drill down on and and um, and focus on those because the, the fidelity of the feedback you're getting was just phenomenal. And eventually this uh, F-15 guy came into, the, into our sort of ops area, planning area, and just said, right, have you got a, a video player, Betamax thing? Yeah. Everybody in there from this trip we just landed on. He shut the door and he said, right, this isn't happening. Do we have an understanding? Yeah. Right. Played his tape. I mean, I can't remember what it showed. He was shooting the shit out of us. Oh, dear. <laughs> he just said, keep doing what you're doing, boys, but at least we're on the same side. <laughs> and it, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> 
I asked Abs what it was like to conduct one of these debriefs. Uh, intimidating, um, especially when, you know, there's 20-odd one-stars in the front row. So what did these guys take away from Red Flag? It was fascinating, to be honest with you, because it gets so many different models, so many different aircraft with different crews of experiences. And then by the middle of it, you're kind of getting the tactics. And by the end, you know, the learning curve was nearly vertical. It'd be amazing how few words it took to make a strike work out. It was just such a, uh, an immersive environment to learn in. Um, and because it was these huge packages that were just back to back to back to back, sort of 10 in a row for two weeks, um, I felt like I'd, it was like a, a year's worth of training back on squadron for me and probably took a year off your life at the other, <laughs> at the other end of it. The... So, yeah, it was definitely worthwhile. It was fun. It was tactical. Um, you learned a lot. And then you, you worked those new tactics and lessons learned into you know, your future planning and that kind of thing. So it was... And the second one we went on the week before, a guy I'd done bad cold group with ended up ejecting. He lost it at low level, jumped out, got smacked massively, broke his leg. I mean, he, he was in a terrible way. And the, the airplane carried on. You're joking. <laughs> the ejection recovered it, and it carried on for quite a while. <laughs> That's the hardest dang course I've ever been through in my life. You know, we weren't out playing volleyball with uh, Goose and Maverick. We were... <laughs> <laughs> I remember more doing practicing for the Morris dancing because you know we had to entertain the boys on a Friday night in uh, <laughs> the, the bar what? we'd uh, we trained up we had did we have eight yeah we had an eight doing the old bells and the hats and I've got some photos somewhere you know with bells and the things and, and the sticks and the hankies and all that stuff <laughs> dancing up and down yeah we, we, we were accomplished Morris side mate the, so, the Yanks have never seen anything like it, of course. I, I bet not. Yeah, no, the, the Americans looked after us well, Nick. Um, we had to be on our best behaviour, really. <laughs> <laughs> My enormous thanks to Nige from RAF Jaguars, Gasher from the Mighty Tornado, Jack the Eagle Driver, Scott R. Tomcat Rio, and Abs with his eye-watering F-111 for their insights into Red Flag. Good show, guys. Ah, that was beautiful. Beautiful. Fun to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I have to admire um, Liz's dexterity. She just was did impressed. those pictures perfectly. <laughs> that was that was fast and furious for her. She uh, <laughs> really had to work hard to keep up. So thanks, Liz. Um, yeah, I tell you what, you know, chatting to those guys. Uh, and I, although I didn't go out there, I felt I felt after our conversations that I had been there. You know, I felt their excitement. For some of them, it was 40 years ago. For others, much more recent. But uh, they all had just one common theme. It was 
probably the most realistic, fantastic training, and they came away with a great deal. But uh, um, despite that, they all managed to have a good time as well, and listening to some of those little stories, <laughs> those exploits, oh, brilliant. I really loved it. And you can tell they had a lot of fun retelling those stories. Oh, yeah, it's like they're reliving it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, all, all very experienced guys. So uh, they'd, they'd been been there and done it, and uh, it was behind them now, so they felt free to talk about it. Uh, there, there was a, a fine chap I could have spoken to if uh, I'd had a few months um, probably to set it up. But uh, no, I thought, uh, well, we'll keep it back in, in recent history at least, or in some cases, in Nigel's case, in very distant history, um, because uh, th- that way they were able to uh, to tell. Uh, today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he's, he's in the chat room. Uh, yeah, so uh, they were able to open up a bit more. Um, Arnie uh, in the chat room is asking: Do they still do red flag nowadays? Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, they've they've had them this year. Uh, the F-22, the F-35 are out there doing all that stuff. And, of course, uh, the sort of technology we were talking about there where um, the, everyone carried a special pod that was, looked like a missile. <coughs> Excuse me. It had uh, an initial gyros in there. It linked to um, sensors around the range. Uh, it also linked to the aircraft weapon system. It was all fed back. Uh, into the debrief so that they played on these huge screens, um, laser-projected images of the entire exercise uh, and every single aircraft in detail at any time. Um, Someone fired a missile, uh, the computers would calculate the likelihood of that missile uh, reaching its target and killing its target. And if you were an unfortunate chap to get shot down, you know, a little coffin would appear around you. Now that was that was the little the technology when I was in the Air Force thirty or forty years ago. Nowadays, of course, uh, it's all uh, data linked to satellites and then uh, recorded. And of course, the onboard computers can provide so much more information. Nowadays, it's considerably more sophisticated. It was sophisticated enough back then. But nowadays, it's it's just an unbelievably high level of training. And, of course, all the equipment and the threat has changed. And so the whole exercise moves along to uh, cope with the different scenarios that uh, the people might face. It used to be the Cold War. That switched. Uh, but um, certainly, uh, they're, they're totally capable of uh, adjusting it to meet modern day threats and it is a fantastic facility out there and Nellis, unbelievable anil in our chat room says nick i have to say the editing on this is top notch you've really captured the camaraderie and sense of place there's probably a whole podcast in red flag <laughs> yeah, I think if you get get access, there, there could be. Uh, but it, you know, for me, it's just one aspect of, um, you know, my experience that I wanted to try and bring forward. And uh, since I never got there, it was an ideal opportunity to delve into the minds of those who did. So, enormous thanks to the guys who uh, were willing to chat to me. I got a chance to uh, uh, Brent, my first officer on this trip. Um, he flew the B-52 in the Air Force, and he said he uh, participated in Red Flag one year in the early 90s. And he said it was amazing. 
<laughs> so. Oh, absolutely. They, they had aircraft like the B-52 who would simulate flying halfway around the world from their base, arrive overhead the Nellis Ranges, do their attack mission, and then spend another <clears> like five or six hours tanking their way back home again. Mm. Uh, and that was hard, hard missions for those guys. The, mm -hmm. All these fighter pilots, you know, they were airborne for like two hours. <laughs> but, you know, so, some aircraft, you know, really did go an awful long way to participate and then go all the way back to their base uh, at the end of it. Um, and, you know, they, they these packages were put together just like they would be in real life as well. Mm -hmm. So everyone got a huge amount of training. Excellent. Well, that was very enjoyable. I can't wait to listen to it again uh, from the beginning. Three-part series, folks. If you missed the previous two, please uh, look for the Plain Tales uh, web page on our website, and uh, you can relive all the wonderful work that uh, Nick put together for us. All right. Um, shall we continue with some more feedback? Yes. All right. Let's, Let's do it, though. Um, we shall. Let's do um, Gus uh, six. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pardon. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were objecting to my choice, Liz. No, sir. Okay. No, sir. Um, I'm trying to share the screen. Here we go. Um, yeah. Okay. Share. And there we go. Um, Gus sends sent this in APG crew, please listen to my attached audio feedback and see pics from my recent visit to the Alaska air 261 Memorial at Naval air station point, uh, point Magoo near Ventura, California, Ventura, California. Cheers, Gus. And so he has uh, some pictures for us to look at and some audio for us to listen to. Hey, APG crew. I just wanted to recount a bit of a, a somber experience uh, had today. And I wanted to thank you for that. Uh, in a positive way. Uh, I was out at the campground with my family at Naval Air Station Point Magoo, and I came across a memorial to Alaskan Air Flight 261. Uh, and so uh, on my next walk uh, with the dog that next day past that point, I listened to uh, Captain Nick's um, old pilot's uh, tale about that event. And it was really chilling to be looking out over the ocean and listening uh, to the captain's calls and LA centers calls back to him and the other aircraft in the area and then to um, just to picture it just a few miles off the coast right right in front of where I'm standing and it gave me pause to think about uh, um, all the times uh, I've had maintenance events that have held me back from flying uh, and I'm really thankful for those there, there's very little we do uh, with few exceptions that can't wait till the next day or can't wait till later uh, to get something fixed and get something right and it's really good when you find something it's because it's good that you uh didn't have to find it up in the air like they did uh so anyway just wanted to thank you for that it was great uh in a very somber way to to listen to that and experience it that way and uh just as i was getting ready to leave the the first time a few days ago when i was out here uh it was pretty overcast with the good marine layer and i could faintly hear a jet overhead uh it was pretty eerie and as if they had uh, come from back west briefly just to thank uh, someone for thinking of them. Um, and then they just kind of faded off into the distance again as I walked away. So thanks again uh, for the old Pilots Playing Tales on the podcast. 
and thanks for everything you guys do and uh maybe uh, our other uh, fellow crew can keep that in mind that uh, the next time you find something you should uh thank your maintainers or engineers for finding something uh, on the ground even if it's uh, inconvenient at the time thanks well thank you gus for sharing that with us um nice pictures there at the uh memorial at uh point magoo in that memory, panorama it looks beautiful doesn't it yeah in memory of I'm, I'm, i wasn't aware that there was a memorial there um yeah but uh, i i think this flight if if any really deserves one it was just an absolute tragedy and mm-hmm. uh, relatively recent in our memory such that the people who had heard those transmissions got in touch with me after we did that plane tale. So, you know, it, very, very sad, of course, and mm-hmm. completely avoidable, uh, which made it all the more tragic. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Gus, for that. Um, Greg, our big-ass fan. Big-ass fan. earlier. Oh, he's not here anymore. He was here earlier, but I guess yeah, he, had he had to leave. He had to go home. Ah, he has like a real life. Well, he, it takes him some time to get that big ass back to <laughs> squeezed into his where car. He lives, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Extra, extra travel allowance time here. Yeah. Um, don't, I don't know what you even meant by that, Nick. But anyway. <laughs> Just uh, for context. Well, Jimmy travels with a fan. For, Does he not? For, for context, oh, for the people that are just listening to the show, uh, Greg Peterson works at the Big Ass Fan Company. Uh, they make very large fans <laughs> that you'll see in and warehouses. And he is a very large fan. Yeah, he is a large fan of the APG. Yes, and, but he's not absolutely. a big... Well, okay. Um, <laughs> Greg says, I went back and watched the video of the ATR that ran into that jet bridge. You can clearly see both engines running, but how are the props on the number one engine not more damaged when they hit the jet bridge? Those prop blades look to be in pretty good shape having just hit a jet bridge. I think, I think, uh, Steph and I were both saying, or maybe more of us like, yeah, you would think that the props would have been kind of mangled and the jet bridge would be more mangled from that propeller running around. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, the, maybe they weren't, maybe they had just shut down the engine and they were just kind of idling or. Yeah. I think my, my, my guess is that, um, I don't think ATRs have APUs. So mm-hmm. in lieu of an APU, they, um, uh, I guess remove the torque out of, uh, an operating engine and just basically run electrics and pneumatics and hydraulics. Well, not really hydraulics, but just electrics and pneumatics off of that engine that's not producing any any thrust. Um, uh, I don't know what the configuration of this particular turboprop is, but in a lot of these engines, you have what's called a free-turning turbine, which basically means that the prop itself is not connected to the engine. Uh, and so if... Uh, I guess if you if if you remove uh, the the torque from that engine and just run uh, again the electrics and pneumatics of that engine, uh, the fact that it's not producing power, it's not producing any torque. Uh, if 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 you hit something, and the fact that it's a free turning turbine, it'll just basically stop just the stops. prop mm-hmm. and, oh. and and not damage it. So that's my guess. I'll bet Steph uh, knows I know a little that, bit about this. Yeah, a little bit, but I'm not sure how that works if they're just using it for the pneumatics, oh, okay. and I'm not sure about that part of the system so yeah. but yeah. that makes some sense but i think so you can still see some damage but yeah, of it's course. just not enough to be noticeable right. in the pictures that we were provided yeah. with yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and a lot of these, uh, you know, um, smaller uh, turboprops, uh, twin engine turboprops, um, as I said, don't have APs, which is Larry Power Unit. So uh, you need to have a source of electrician pneumatic somewhere. So that's, I guess, that, that'd be the way to do it. All right. Well, there you go, Greg. That's our best guess. Um, and then he says, follow-up question to reject and take off story from the last episode. Um, or actually, it was episode 459. I know that in a rejected takeoff, you absolutely should not rely on the tires deflating to help stop the aircraft because you may not get the wheels hot enough to melt the fuse plugs. But in this instance, do you think that the fact that all eight main tires deflated was a contributing factor to stopping the airplane in time? And had they not deflated, the outcome could have been different, perhaps a, a, a runway overrun? I've got to think that eight flat tires is going to produce a fair amount of rolling resistance. Interested to hear your thoughts. Your big ass fan, Greg Peterson. Um, I don't know. I I would just me. I don't know. I don't have anything to back this up. But I think that a deflated tire is not going to be as helpful as a, a, an inflated tire as far as mechanical friction stopping and that kind of thing. But um, I don't know. That's just my guess. What about you guys? Yeah, I agree with you. Not only that, but um, but tire rotation velocity is one of the factors considered in the um, uh, in the takeoff um, uh, uh, calculations. Um, I remember if, if just off the top of my head here, Category D tires on uh, most uh, heavy airliners uh, uh, are rated up to 224 miles an hour. And so uh, anything faster than that... I'm sure there's going to be some, you know, some, some, uh, margin for, you know, for fudge factor there. Uh, but anything higher than that, the structural, um, integrity of the tire itself based on those high rotation velocities is going to be compromised. So, uh, that is in fact, um, a, a figure that is, uh, taken into account when you're figuring out, uh, um, takeoff, uh, speed, uh, V1 VR. So, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, Jeff. I don't think that, uh, I, I do think that a, uh, uh, a, a properly inflated tire, the correct pressure is going to give you the, the stop and power that you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, uh, you, know, you know, part of the, part of the braking system would be just to deflate all the tires. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, yeah, like, that's, it. that's exactly right. You could always try lifting the gear. That's always an option. <laughs> well, even even that, I'm not convinced, <laughs> I'm not convinced that, yeah. um, the, you're going to stop any quicker. Uh, d- d- you could never rely on deflating tires anyway because it takes uh, a finite amount of time for the temperature created by the brakes to radiate out to where the fuse plugs are and then to deflate tires, uh, to then deflate the tires. So traditionally, you'll see an aircraft screech to a halt in a rejected takeoff, and then some 30 seconds later, the tires will go Mm-hmm, then it'll yeah. deflate. It doesn't happen normally during the rejection because the heat uh, hasn't actually been generated to uh, a sufficient level and it hasn't radiated out to the uh, points where the fuse plugs are. But so I'm with you guys. So uh, no, it's, uh, you you're not going to get a, a a better amount of retardation from anything other than a properly working uh tire um and and that's probably illustrated in a lot of cases by the fact that if you do burst your tires during a rejection uh it's probably because uh in some or in a landing it's because your abs your uh 
automatic braking system um, that, uh, you know, like uh, anti-skid system in a car, um, isn't working and you've actually stopped the tyres for a sufficient length of time for them to wear through and burst. Uh, and that usually doesn't help you at all, no. <laughs> sadly. So if you raise the gear handle, would the would the gear come up? Well, I, there on some aircraft it would because no, 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 no. The airplane will come down. Very old relative. You got me. That used to be one of my questions for my students when I was in pilot training. <laughs> so if you do the override switch, they loved the tr- you as an instructor. Yeah, they They're they like, really oh, did. Gosh, I love that Captain Jeff guy. <laughs> yeah. He's funny. <laughs> Because, yeah, because we we could do it in the in on the military aircraft I flew. We could override the landing system and raise the wheels mm-hmm. uh, during a, a rollout. Um, so, yeah, it's a good question. Good. Yeah, I mean, it would be a it lot is. of drag, but I don't think it would be as uh, effective as properly inflated tires and normally working brakes. Yeah. Well, on the Phantom, it would because the Phantom had just lousy brakes. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> they were just awful. I mean, it was they were designed to just allow it to taxi around an aircraft carrier. They weren't really designed for mm. long-term use on runways, which is why we had a damn great big brake parachute. Mm. That's right. The model you were flying were originally designed for na- the Navy, right? Yeah, exactly right. Cool. All right, Greg. Well, there you go. That's our best stab at answering those questions um carl writes in he says uh captain jeff you're always telling us about the best part and favorite parts of the show okay time to confess what's the worst part of the show what's your least favorite part only so many segments so something is gonna get hit keep up the great work carl well he's, he's kind of stirring the pot here well carl mm. i think my personal best part or no worst part of the show worst part of the show worst part of the show is the end because i just don't want it to end because i have so much fun every week with my friends here on the show so that's the worst part of the show the end we're going for five hours now well except for that guy that's sticking his fingers in his mouth (laughs) making himself throw up for me the worst part of the show is when jeff gives me something very technical to read after he knows that i've had a couple of alcoholic or adult that's no 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 that's the very best part of the show Steph. come on maybe not for you you. (laughs) absolutely uh, I hate the um, getting to know you now because I never do anything. <laughs> There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> just, it's kind of a bummer. Just, it's so like, depressing. What have you been doing, Nick? Well, I've just been nothing. sitting here. Well, for... Thanks for reminding me about it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for bringing it thanks up. Thanks for reminding me. Rubbing I'm retired and I don't fly anywhere or <laughs> do anything. Pour some lemon juice in that paper cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're sure. We're confident that's going to change uh, eventually, hopefully. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Rick, what's your, what's the worst part of the show for you? I can't I can't. That was just trying to think here. I, there I are no worst think parts. Of it's the, it's yeah, the shows no where Rick parts. can't can't join us. Yeah, yeah that's right. When he can't be with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh wait, that's that. Oh, Rick. No technical questions. No technical questions. <laughs> no technical <laughs> questions. <laughs> that's my least part, least yeah. favorite part of the show, I guess. Yeah, I do like the technical stuff, but uh, Liz, no, what's uh, what's your worst part of the show, Liz? Worrying about the the amount of feedback we're going to have. Oh yeah, worrying about the amount of feedback we're going to have. But you know, look, look and see <laughs> how far. She's always worried. 
We we haven't even gotten through what half. We've got like 13 minutes left to go to yeah. the end of the show, and <laughs> and we're number eight. She's yeah, like, there's so just not very much feedback this week, guys. It's all needless worry. I said it always works out, Liz. It always works out. I know. I yeah. hear you. Well, I'm go. glad it's not putting up the slides for the plane tail. Because <laughs> oh yeah, that's a close second. Oh wait, she's saying <laughs> yes. That is actually now that you mention it, the worst. Yeah, because Liz doesn't get a pee break like the rest of us, <laughs> and she's just. I listened. I didn't. I did not take a physiologic break this time around. Oh, it was just enough. that compelling. Which means I'm eagerly awaiting um, about 13 minutes from now when I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you a secret. See, I, I can see what I can. I have video of Liz. I can tell when she's taking. She takes a lot of breaks. <laughs> she leaves. I blame her, it on my dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. She blames it on her dog. I got to take the dog for a walk. Okay. Right. <laughs> tell Steph we've got 20 minutes left. We have 20 actually. minutes left, uh, Liz says. Uh-oh. Steph. Because right. of the break, we can you make it? We could finish them all if we tried. That's all right. I have got a. Never mind. I have a large bladder. I'll make it. <laughs> okay. I'll be all right. All right. <laughs> let's move on then and try to do some more here. Um, let's see. What was Charlie. I going? Oh, yeah. You want to do Charlie? Um, yeah. So to speak. Uh, hello, APG crew. <laughs> uh, Charlie from Minnesota here. I'm a private pilot and am also lucky enough to work in the airline industry and still currently have employment. I've been listening for years, but have never submitted any feedback. I'm happy to finally change that. I follow a local aviation Facebook page here at MSP, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And there was a recent post that caught my attention. Attached is a screenshot from FlightAware of a SkyWest flight from MSP to MKE, so Minneapolis, St. Paul to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that took an unusual routing. Instead of heading southeast to Milwaukee after departure, it instead went north about 150 miles to Duluth, Minnesota, and then turned southeast to Milwaukee. I've seen unusual routings like this many times before, usually during weather events to avoid storms, but weather was not a factor in this case. Or maybe it was, after all. The discussion in the post focused on ozone and how the routing was likely an attempt to avoid a thinner layer of ozone. While I know radiation levels are higher while at altitude, I've never heard of flight rerouting because of it. I'd be interested in getting insight on this from some professional pilots. Um... Do we have any? Do we? I haven't seen paging, any. Paging, paging. Yeah, yeah. A few unprofessional wrong, wrong show over here. <laughs> there might be some in the chat room. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll, we'll get their input. Yeah. So please let me know if you ever have any on the show. Oh, shoot. I ruined his joke. So he he made the joke. So please let me know if you ever have any on the show. <laughs> you should uh, just reread that. Funny. Yeah, let's do that. No, no. I, I like it the way it was. <laughs> okay. Oh. Sorry. Sorry, Charlie. I messed up your... Um, we only... Was it Sorry, Charlie? Only Your the best tuna. Inverted get. commas joke. <laughs> what was that old commercial? Do you remember, guys? Uh, sorry, Charlie. Yeah. Only the best tuna. Something about yeah. Starkist. Uh, Starkist commercial. Yeah. Starkist, yeah. 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 Starkist. I don't remember how it went, though. Starkist doesn't want tunas with good taste. Starkist wants tunas that taste good. Sorry, Charlie. Anyway. Uh, thank, uh, sorry, Charlie, for messing up your joke. Okay, thanks to you all for putting out such a great and informative show each and every week. I always, le- I always learn something new. Wishing you tailwinds, so great beer, and COVID vaccines for all. Charlie from Minnesota. Now let me share uh, the little um, depiction of the um, FlightAware. Uh, so, you know, Minneapolis is here, and then you got... Um, 
Milwaukee down to the southeast, but it goes, as you said, up north toward Duluth and then to the southeast and then finally to Milwaukee. And so I'm thinking, ozone? Eh, I don't know. That sounds kind of sketchy to me. So I never heard of a I thought they were just being... trying to trace the outline of the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, well, or make no, some kind of. I would say airspace restrictions, but that would be. Or a doodle flare. Way too logical. A doodle fail, maybe? A flight mm-hmm. doodle mm-hmm. fail? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, so perhaps, I'm thinking. Perhaps they forgot where they were going until they got to the uh, turning point, and then yeah. they went, oh, damn, we're hey, supposed to be hey, heading down there. Hey, bud, yeah. Uh, yes. I don't think this is the way to go to Milwaukee. I think we're going the wrong way. Oh, shoot. Okay. Ask for a right turn. Um, so yeah, I'm they, thinking... They, they, didn't, they didn't cage their, their directional <laughs> yeah, gyre right. card properly. Yeah. Oh, we've been going the wrong way. So I'm thinking, who better to ask than our great friend and APG community member and host of his own podcast, Flying and Life, Mike Carrolls. He's a dispatcher at Acme Airlines, a dispatcher extraordinaire. And so I sent him a, um, an email I said, and I forwarded this thing and I said, what do you think about this? And he goes, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a real thing. Normally it's not a factor, but it can be when there is, uh, an abnormal with the weather. Most commercial aircraft have ozone scrubbers, but as you can see below, not all of them do. It's quite likely that the CRJ does not, and they need to avoid the area. Normally you can descend and fly below the area of ozone. And then he gives us a link to the FAR regarding ozone. And then below is from the uh, FCOM uh, 8.2.10 ozone operations. Ozone is a toxic, highly reactive pollutant that is nearly colorless, faint blue, with an odor similar to wheat chlorine. The symptoms of ozone exposure include eye irritation, difficulty in breathing, hacking coughs, and nosebleeds. The amount and distribution of ozone in the atmosphere varies with latitude altitude, season, and weather conditions. The highest concentrations of ozone occur above the tropopause in the stratosphere during the late winter and early spring seasons. FAR 121.578 requires that commercial aircraft operators have processes to reduce the introduction of elevated ozone concentrations into the passenger cabin. Most uh, Acme aircraft accomplish this mechanically via equipped ozone converters which separate the ozone from the outside air prior to entering the cabin. However, Boeing 717s, 737s, and some 757s are not equipped with ozone converters. Delta Acme Meteorology will issue an ozone TP message, anyway, a message uh, regarding weather, uh, when conditions exist that could put these aircraft at high risk of high-level ozone exposure. Non-converter equipped aircraft must operate below flight level 370 within ozone TP areas to ensure that ozone levels do not exceed limits specified by this regulation. The dispatcher will list any ozone-related altitude restrictions in the remarks sections. Um, Let's see. The the dispatcher will list any ozone-related altitude restrictions in the remarks sections of the flight dispatch release, the FDR. Mike. So thank you, Mike, for giving us information. And so I guess it is a thing. Now, you know, I'm always below flight level 370 or the highest we ever go on the 717 is uh, 370. But I guess there are times when it actually is something that can affect the flight at lower altitudes. And it's a real thing. So, yeah, learn something new. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, it's interesting. I've uh, never had to deal with any of this. And I've been a 
Well, we flew decent airplanes, Rick. Yeah, <laughs> we we Con- you know routinely went up to converters. Yeah, yeah. we yeah, flew we, proper we, airplanes. So where do you yeah, guys we routinely um, went up to forty five thousand feet, and that wasn't an issue. So what what so where do you guys where where would I find the ozone converter um on your airplane, Nick? Where 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 was that? Uh, 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 no, I had no idea they existed. Yeah, that's weird. Hmm. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, well, Charlie? Every day's I've a school day. Something. Yep, every day's a school day. A bit day, late in my career, but I now every know Every day's a school new. day, Nick. Yeah. Every day's a school day. <laughs> yeah, well. You're, you're a much better person for it now, don't don't you think? Well, maybe not. Okay. Me or Nick? Nick. Just Nick. Oh. <laughs> interesting. I'm looking at the... Uh, I'm looking at the uh, at the DDG, at the dispatch deviation guide, and so the seven sixes that we fly around and have two, none required for dispatch, and there's an operational procedure, and you go down here and it says that uh, if you don't have one of, if you don't have at least one of these operating, uh, you're limited to depending on what the altitude of the height of the tropopause is, you're limited to certain flight levels. Um, but it's, it's, it's never been an issue. I've never, huh. you know, have to, had to deal with stuff before. So, yeah. I've never heard of such a thing actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really thought that was a bunch of bunk when I first read it. And then when Mike came back and said, oh yeah, it's a real thing. Oh, so it's definitely a thing, but is, do we think that's really what happened with this particular flight routing here? I, I guess presumably they could just reasonable. fly. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't look to me like they'd need to go any, you know, any higher than higher maybe, than, you know, low 30s, if yeah, that. Think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, want just, just fly at a lower flight. altitude. Yeah. Yeah, fly at a lower altitude. You know, just, just, oh. Yeah, just tank up a little bit more and just fly lower, and, you know. I think it was I reckon a good his mum lived in that island in just to the north. So he, he <laughs> did a, on Lake Superior. Yeah, he, he flew past his mum's house, and then he went to his destination. He goes, hey, hey, I got a great excuse for why we did this path. <laughs> the oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, here we go. This is why I haven't seen it before. I forgot this little note at the end here it says freighter, not required for freighter jets. Oh, oh yeah, there you, go. <laughs> you guys are expendable. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no passengers. <laughs> we're, we're only worried about the yeah. customers. <laughs> the paying customers. You know, just freighters. Eh. Hey, pilots. Yeah, that's reality. That's why right Park One Seventeen don't apply to Yeah, particularly cargo pilots. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh, yesterday I did the most cargo pilot thing I've ever done in my career. And this is, I thought this was kind of funny. Got a little bit of a headache in the middle of the night, nobody around. So I pulled out an aspirin and I down my aspirin down with uh, my black coffee, no sugar. And I was like, you know, in the middle of the night, I was like, this is the most cargo pilot thing I've ever done. I, got up, I love it. I my headache that way. <laughs> Caffeine and aspirin. Not a there better combination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In yeah. the middle of the night. In the middle, middle of the night. night. Yeah. Nice. All right. Um, quickly with Paul. Uh, hey guys, new listener here. We have a lot of new listeners and first time feedbackers here I on like the show. It. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah me too. Great? Um, it keeps things fresh and interesting. Second we episode. Hear from you. Pardon? Long term listeners too. I was just yeah. trying to be nice to everyone. Oh yeah. So. Well, we don't have any long term listeners. You can try. <laughs> you can try. 
<laughs> scared they, them all away. They listen to a couple of shows and they go, yeah, nah, move on. Um, anyway, he says, second episode I've listened to actually, and I'm in the middle of it at the moment. You were just talking about the video of the crop duster. And I thought I'd give some feedback on the thing on the nose of the aircraft. Th- that was quite a while ago. We talked about that um, video of the uh, crop because there was some kind of a weird a light bar ago. thing. And nobody seemed to know what that was. Well, this guy knows because he's a crop dust pilot, crop duster pilot. Um, that's a sat lock GPS light bar, a screen inside the cockpit, which is part of the same unit allows the pilot to choose a pattern to fly uh, the field. Okay, a pattern to fly the field so the chemical is applied evenly without overlaps or skips. It also allows you to set your rate you need to apply the chemical as well as your swath uh, width. Hang on a minute. Does but, that mean you can draw pictures on the fields? Probably. I don't know if that would be the most efficient use of the... <laughs> and your customer probably wouldn't appreciate it. No. Yeah. <laughs> but on, on your, your last crops are only perhaps. growing in this design of... <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was something. Must, sorry, why sorry, why do we only have like a smiley face out there in the field? Of <laughs> yeah, apparently, there's something wrong with my uh, my sat log GPS light bar. <laughs> just, I need to write that out. <laughs> <A> smiley face. <laughs> That's the best case scenario. No, not get Nick in that airplane. I, was, well, I don't know. Uh, I, was, I, was I don't know what's going to happen there. <laughs> I'm not going like, to suggest what, what the hell is this? Skydivers, might draw in their field. Skydivers, <laughs> yeah, they're nasty people. It's pretty. <laughs> Anyway, that's more than 16 inches. I tell you. Okay. Yeah. Um, as a former flight attendant, I think something totally different when I hear crop dusting. Hmm. Hmm. Not sure. Ooh, that interesting. Is. Okay. The light bar uh, go, going back to Paul. Pa- sorry, Paul. This is his first feedback and look what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> well, it's great. We've feedback. done that to a I lot of it. first yeah, feedbacks today. <laughs> trial by fire over here. Yeah, it's all because we love them. It's because we love you. Yes. You're right. Liz. Uh, the light bar, and if we didn't love you, we wouldn't do this. Um, no. The light bar on the nose is just a display outside of the cockpit to keep our eyes outside and can be configured a few different ways. We keep the airplane with the, within four or five feet to center line of the swath, and it's very easy to see if someone was not on their lights. Very good. I'm a 26-year-old starting my fourth season this year. I'm in Arkansas, and I fly a... Uh, air tractor 802 powered by a pt6-65 generally flying 500 to 700 hours a year in our season which is february through november great podcast i'm glad i found it keep up the good work paul well thanks paul that's a lot of is flying. that near arkansas uh no it's no. nowhere near arkansas oh, okay. arkansas sorry. i know some challenging flying there paul oh yeah, oh, yeah. stay Absolutely. safe and um yeah yeah that is, that is, yeah, that's very challenging. Stay safe. Yeah, along, really good. As, as long as necessary to at least send us another piece of feedback. At least. Precisely. Fly yeah. safe, Paul. Yeah. Fly safe. Fly safe. That's, that's cool. I'm glad that we have a, it's so cool uh, that this aviation community is just so wide ranging and, and um, what's the uh, diverse and, uh, you know, yeah. crop all encompassing. And, yes. All hey, it doesn't matter what you fly. Yep. Or even if you don't fly, yeah, you know, we just, love hearing from you. If you if you just love this whole flying thing, that's you're, you're in the right place. Um, let's see. So only five minutes. This is telling let's do me twelve. Twelve. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's another new listener. Oh well, look at this. This is from Stuttgart Dan S T R Dan, 
and um, he's going to tell us about aircraft-induced snow. Okay. Uh, he says, Dear Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, retired, Dr. Steph, Miami Rick, and Liz, although I haven't been a listener for a long time, only since March 2020, almost a year, I've been following your show closely and enjoy it immensely whenever I have the chance to amongst handling three little kids at home during a lockdown in Germany that feels like waiting for a de-icing truck to show up in an airport in the Death Valley. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, yesterday... I've been presented with this little piece of weather phenomenon that apparently does not occur too often. Neither me nor my colleagues remember to have been taught, read, or seen a case of aircraft-induced snow. Industry-induced snow can be observed during a cold weather, a cold winter at airports close to heavy industry. I remember it vividly in Krasnoyarsk, Siberia. Krasnoyarsk. Sure. Uh, Siberia, from my old days as a freight dog. The Sorry, I couldn't unmute there quick enough. I've okay. spoken to them many times. Oh. Uh, and you did a good job, Jeff. Okay. Well so well, I want to hear you say uh, it. Krasnoyarsk. Krasnoyarsk. Ooh, you put a nice little rolled R on there that I didn't do. Well, okay. put it this way. They they replied, and they weren't rude to me. So I'm oh, assuming you must have done all right. vaguely correct. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Good job. Uh, the mercury there oftentimes dipped as low as minus 42 C. Oh, that's cold. <laughs> a little um, cold. So I know that you, Captain Jeff, are a weather geek like I am. I mean, Steph is even more a weather geek than I am. Uh, and I I may have wondered whether you might be interested that type that type of snow that is new to me as an aviator who has been in the industry for almost 20 years, albeit not flying at the moment. Yes, I, I my ears perked up when I heard or saw the title of this thing, aircraft induced snow. I've never heard of it. Um, he says to everyone out there, keep healthy, strong and study. And we will hear each other on the airwaves soon. Regards Stuttgart, Dan again, S T R Dan. And uh, he is a captain on the a three twenty family flying for Acme, Germany. And then he gives us some, uh, well, he gave us a link to this article, airplane effect snow targets Dallas, Fort worth suburbs on Friday. And I'm thinking, huh, what is it? So there's some radar display. Here, I should probably share the screen again. Uh, add to stream. There we go. So we have the, what is this thing called again, uh, stuff? This um, this vertical depiction. I, there, there's a name for this, like a, a T, graph? T, T, T something. Uh, it's, or, uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know. Um, come on, <laughs> weather girl. Good. You're supposed to know this good stuff. Graph. I don't know all these things. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is just a hobby. I don't study it in detail. So it's a whole bunch of lines. And labels and other crooked lines. I don't know. It, uh, it looks like a T five gram, but yeah, uh, I'm t- not sure. Yeah, that I think that's what it is actually. Thank you, Nick. Um, so it's a look at d- uh, data from Friday morning's weather balloon launch from Fort Worth University of Wyoming. Okay, um, and then there's a radar return that looks something that like something that we are kind of used to seeing. Um, a bird's eye view of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex uh, and a, a circled area here that says airplane affects snow. Um, and it, I never, I've never heard of this. And I guess it has something to do with um, the condensation nuclei that's expelled from jet engines that trigger the formation of ice crystals. 
Yeah. Um, I think the, the the graph shows areas of super cold um, air. Moisture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, it, it's air that uh, it would love to come out uh, and produce, in this case, because super cold uh, ice crystals or snow. But uh, it, it's, it's sitting there and it has nothing to initiate uh, its uh, formation. Uh, until an airplane passes through. And then uh, it's going to throw in a bunch of uh, carbon particles in its exhaust, uh, plus additional moisture, uh, because that's what you get when you burn jet fuel. And um, uh, with that mixing effect, plus the um, the little carbon particles, they provide something for the super cool droplets to form on. Uh, and they coalesce uh, out of the air and turn into uh, an ice crystal-like. It's almost like your cloud seeding. Exactly. It's very similar to condensation trails, but of course you're, uh, because which are also ice crystals, but you're Mm. at low level, so uh, they can fall to the ground. Uh, I, I mean, condensation trails descend, and this is close enough to the ground to descend, I guess, as kind of snow. Wow. I've heard of it previously on Arctic airfields, uh, and they referred to it as, um, on the ground, as sort of ice crystal fog, Um, Hmm. because, you know, it doesn't happen so much on the approach, but aircraft taxiing around can produce this effect, and they can fog themselves out. That's the only time I've ever heard of something similar. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, and it, yeah. you know you get that um, temperature inversion, which is a lot more common in winter as well, which really helps with that super cool um, air that you need. Mm-hmm. Super cool, dude. Super cool. So super cold is just air below zero that has contains moisture and it hasn't mm-hmm. come out into um, physical form. And the and the Still. thing the thing with uh, with the reason why it's called an inversion temperature inversion is because usually normally as you go up in altitude temperature goes down uh, temperature inversion means that the temperature goes up with altitude um, not down so I bl- believe it's uh, three degrees per thousand feet something like that mm-hmm. uh, that's mm-hmm. standard uh, lapse rate so or um, you can find you can actually find like a very distinct boundary layer too where it, oh, yeah. temperature. Decreases, 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 and then all of a sudden it's much warmer on top of that layer. So yeah. it can have another effect too of trapping pollutants and things like that. In some exactly. Areas. Ah, mm-hmm. yep. Chris Griggs nails it. It's like skew, skew tea. tea. Yes. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. I may that's, have learned that's that. That's what at some it point, is. I couldn't recall. Way in the remote past. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. All right. Well, you learned something. Again, we learned a lot of things on today's show. And. Uh, up, you know, thanks to all of you, especially our new listeners and new feedback givers. Um, we thanks. really do love them. We do, really do love you guys and gals out there. So, and everybody, uh, we love all our live audience chat room members. Thanks for hanging out with us, uh, as most of you do every week without fail. I mean, that means a lot to us as well. Thank you again also to all those who contribute to the show uh, financially, our Coffee Fun Cadre. Again, man, we love you. Everybody out there, thanks for uh, for joining us every week. Um, so if you're new and you want to learn more about the show, uh, we have an awesome website. It's called AirlinePilotGuy.com, coincidentally. And uh, there is a lot of good stuff there. I'm not going to go into it all. Check it out yourself. You'll see all the great uh, stuff we have on it. Uh, also, if you want to send us feedback, 
Feedback at AirlinePilotGuy.com is the best way to do it. You can even send us audio feedback by attaching your audio files to your email. Or you can use SpeakPipe, which is on the Contact Us page of our website. And also, hey, you know, we're hip here. We're uh, we're doing the social media thing, uh, the social means. You know, you can tell we're hip because we say social means. So, Steph, tell us about that. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Steph, Steph's is, hey, uh, find no, us that's not on <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> the Twitters. Or Twitter. Uh, yeah. Twitter.com yeah. uh, or the app, um, appropriate to your mobile device. We are at APG Crew, and you can find our individual handles pinned to the top of that page. You can also find us over on Facebook, facebook.com slash guy. And I might get back to doing some posts on our Instagram page at some point, but we are also APG Crew on Instagram. And if you'd like to be even more involved than that, because that's kind of just scratching the surface, you should find out about Slack. Oh, yeah. There. Yeah, we got a lot of Slackers uh, hanging out at Slack. Uh, Hillel is the guy that uh, came up with this um, APG Slack team and manages it. And let's see if he's here yeah. with us. Uh, oh. Oh, that was the wrong thing. He's already he's talking out of order. Okay, yes, the shower because Hillel likes to keep clean. Hey, Hillel, you have time for uh, the slack slack thing? Hello. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's uh, okay. Just make sure it's mostly dried off uh, before you get here. Okay, hang on. Okay, you're getting me wet again. Okay, let me move out of the way. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you very much, Hillel. Uh, do appreciate that. Always. Uh, we wrote... you missed a spot. What? doesn't make sense i don't okay <laughs> i don't want to know what's going on there i'm not sure what he's talking about but okay um <laughs> there we go um thank you very much for that and finally we need to make sure that we acknowledge our awesome producer director and she is in toronto ontario hey. california no canada canada <laughs> I'm getting so confused. Rick is in Ontario, California, and Liz is Ontario, Canada, Toronto to be exact. So, I mean, honestly, we couldn't do the show without Liz. Or if we did, it would be pretty pathetic, actually. <laughs> so thank you, Liz, for uh, being here and being such a big part of our APG crew. And with that, it's time for us to leave you, and we'll be back again next week. Hopefully you will as well, and wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and favorable winds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. We'll see you next week. Be safe out there. Bye, everybody!
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I got I fly, oh 